Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about whatever the fuck we want to. I am turning, I have a birthday coming up, and um, as it is my hobbity habit, I will be posting a newish old story on my birthday, which is October 31st. So, those of you who are um, listening to this live, you might want to go read the first two parts of Heart and Soul. Um, my Harry Draco time travel-ish story um, that I did last year for RT because I finished Only Time. It's coming in at 123k and um, I'll be posting it on October 31st. So if you want to get ahead of it so you can read it on that day, if you want to do the reread, you need to start like maybe yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think the first part is 100 no, it's 89 80-ish. Someone will probably look it up for me. Um, and part two is like 29. So um, you've probably got 130k, maybe 120k to read between now and October 31st if you, if you want to read those in advance of, of the new part being published. And I've done some really I've, I've done some interesting things with this that I've never done before. Um, and I am really pleased with it. Uh Lady Holder acting like she hadn't already read it. <laughs> um, I did something really interesting and unique for me, anyway. And I don't read in the fandom, so I don't know how often it's been done. Um, I don't care to know in advance either, so just FYI. But um, I did something interesting with um, with Dumbledore, and I'm pretty excited about it. And I, I hope that the readers enjoy it. Um, Julie told me that she almost dropped her iPad. <laughs> I did. Yeah. 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 I read it. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> A little unexpected. It, it was a moment. It was a moment. I, it, I did not think it was going to go there. <laughs> but not like awful. Not, not Well, it's awful, but it's not going to be. No. I don't think it's triggery. So don't, don't be worrying about no. that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it, it, it was great. It was great. I loved it. But it was just, it was startlingly, it was startling because I, but yes, also remember, I don't read a lot in the fandom either. So, you know, um, and even when I try to read in the fandom, I often wind up not reading in the fandom. Right. Because what winds up happening is I have, Harry Potter can be, what we, we talked about this, like, in, 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 when it came up to like a mod discussion around something else, that Harry Potter can be a, uh, people go all in. On, on their trigger content. Like, when they tell you that there's going to be trigger content, they, they aren't kidding about that, right? Um, so I think it honestly should be the original fandom for Dead Dove Don't Eat, but it's not. Right? It's not. It just yeah. should be. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Dead Dove in that fandom that is not labeled as such. So, you know, I learned in my... I, I learned the hard way when something is starting to kind of push your buttons in Harry Potter and a Harry Potter story to, to, to pay attention to your feelings and get, get out. Cause people have different levels of sensitivity and I just don't need to traumatize myself to fan fiction. You know, I, I don't, I don't need right? to be left in a state of feeling unsettled and miserable for days after reading something because I mean, there's Harry Potter stories that I've read that still linger in the back of my mind is this kind of unsettled misery that I wish I could kind of scrape off. And for some people, those were great reads. They weren't great reads for me. And if I had followed the, my my gut instinct about that pushing my buttons, I'd have I'd have backed away sooner. 
So I'm very, when something's even starting to kind of like, like kind of like push at anything, like does it's any, any kind of warning signals, I am, I am quick on the, on the hitting the X and getting out. Not everybody is that, is that, that careful in Harry Potter stories. So, but that's just my way of saying I, sometimes even when I'm in the mood to read Harry Potter, I can work, I can work at it for days and find nothing. To read because I'm like I've noped out of a hundred stories in the last twenty four hours. Not as a badge of honor or something, but it's just like why the fuck can't I find anything to read? It's really um, difficult. Sometimes I just read my own stuff because that way I'll be safe. There is that. There's there's. I go read Julie's stuff. Or I read Lady Holder stuff because then I'll be safe and I won't have any surprises. Because sometimes I just can't handle a surprise. Even if it's not really a terrible and triggery surprise, sometimes even a moderately upsetting surprise can just be like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm not going to make it. <laughs> it's just it's some, some mountain out of a mohill. <laughs> You're like, why that choice? Why that? It's, it's emotionally huge, right? It's, it's emotionally huge for you that Harry bought purple pants. And we don't, right? know if they were, if they, we don't know if they were pants or if they were trousers. We don't know because you know the author's an American and they didn't specify, so. <laughs> right? But I pride myself on using the word pants correctly in my Harry Potter works. Yes, I do. Um, but it's, it. so anyways, I will say that I have fallen in love. I have literally fallen in love with an idea that I have that I've been working on and I have written um basically since the first of the month I have written 60,000 words on this story and um I I'm just I'm in love with it and I I, I can't even help myself and I don't want to give any of it away um because I think honestly it might be my quantum bang it, it could be quantum banging yeah yeah this is definitely a fix it it definitely fixes stuff, yeah. Anyways, I'm in 60K, um, and um, I'm telling it, like, in novellas. And I'm just, I'm super thrilled with it. I don't know if it'll end up being my quantum bang or not, but I am super thrilled with it. Because I do have a quantum bang idea that I haven't started yet. Because um, I'm on the fence about pairings. And I also have another, I have several ideas for quantum bang. But, um... I'm just, I'm on the fence about what I'm going to do with it. And worst, by the way, sign-ups for Quantum Bang are still open, right? Yeah, we added okay. an extra month for authors um, for this year. Well, it'll probably do that going forward, but I had gotten um, quite a few people telling me that they didn't want to sign up. This is over the course of the years we've done the Quantum Bang. Quite a few people tell me they didn't want to sign up, but they saw how their nano project went. And it's, and it was hard because Quantum Bang sign-ups for authors ended on October 31st, which... I mean, I have to, I've, I said this, I've mentioned this, that I, I can't quite logically parse that because there's like no penalty for not turning in a rough draft and participating in art claims. There's like no penalty for dropping out. There's not even a process to drop out. You just don't turn in a story. But okay. You know, some, but some people, people just have that commitment issue yeah, around so, the idea of a sign yeah. up. So I get it. But I do, but I do recognize people's brains work differently than mine. So I said, okay, if that helps any, even one person to feel like they have made project. Progress through the nano process, then we'll give it that extra month. They can see how they feel when when nano's over. So, yeah. And we have I I did give in and agree 
with the mods that next year there will be four sign-up periods for the Big Moxie. This is a lot for me because I originally only wanted to do one. <laughs> oh, that's... Wow. No, no for the whole year. that you're gonna For the whole that. year. You decide right fucking now. You decide for the whole damn year. But then I was like, okay, fine, I'll do two. And so, okay, fine. <laughs> if you fine, need quarterly sign-up, you'll get quarterly sign-ups. Fine, Anyways, fine. um, yeah, and I don't, I've announced topics for next year, but I'll do it again for those of you who are in the podcast, who are in the podcast audience right now, who are not on Discord. Um, quarter one will be Inexplicable Babies. Um, quarter two is a fusion slash crossover. This is where you can stick your Sentinel if you want to ride it. Um, quarter three will be Friends to Lovers, which is one of my favorite tropes. And quarter five will be Time Travel for Quarter four will be time travel. Time travel. Um, so, you know, I think they're going to be really great topics. People are going to have a really good time. Um, right now, we're in quarter four of this year, and our topic was soulmates. Um, so I'm looking forward to the entries for that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I actually, it's funny, I, had a, I flailed about mentally for an idea for soulmates. Um, that actually, I, I mean, I should say I have, like, I had a lot of like what I would call like generic kind of soulmate ideas too that seemed mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I had kind of was like settling on anything, and then I felt like I had an idea that kind of like really crystallized in my brain kind of hard, um, and I'm getting close to done with that. It's be told in two parts, maybe a third part. I'm still debating on a third part, um, but I really enjoyed the world building for that, um, and I might explore it in another story. Uh, in another Be cool. In another time, and. Um, I'm also, I should be editing mine right now, but I'm not. <laughs> well, I'm writing 60k of something else. <laughs> right. Well, we still got to the end of the um, the last. It's not yeah. posted. It's not the last week of December. But and and even though it doesn't qualify for the big moxie because it is or was partially published on Rough Trade, I'm hoping to finish out my um, Every Moment series and get it posted during the big moxie, you know, soulmate thematic thing. Get it during posted during this Q4 thing because it you know it's soulmates it's, it's it, it'll fit it'll fit it'll fit it'll be good but it won't be it won't be a part of the big moxie list so I don't anybody think that I'm like trying to jump the rules because it was partially published I'm pretty sure that this last episode was partially published on Rough Trade but I'm actually going to remember very well so who knows um but because of I, I, like I said I believe I believe this episode was at least partially published on Rough Trade so I, I'm not going to Look, Jace, if all you can write right now is angst and revenge, then you just go write the best angst and revenge you possibly can. With people who are soulmates. <laughs> um, I'm not the best person to talk somebody out of that, since one of my biggest projects on my site is full of angst and revenge. <laughs> and murder. <laughs> She's got a kill count. <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> Just keep track of who you've killed so you don't kill them twice because weirdly people will, even if you've killed a hundred people, someone will remember everybody you've killed and will go, have you already killed them? It's like... <sighs> yeah, I killed Lucius Malfoy three times in, in, in the, the rough draft of Darkly Lowell and he should have only been killed twice. <laughs> you killed, wait, you're right. You killed, uh, you killed 34 people in 2,000 words. I, I almost kind of want to I don't even want to know. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I like what I was, 
as I've gotten, over the past couple of years, I've kind of um, fallen in love again with uh, the creative process. And there was never a couple of years there where I was kind of, eh. and I was in, I was in a good rhythm, but I wasn't always um, exploring the ideas that really, really appealed to me. Um, and that's because I was like involved in a couple of big series that I was writing and I felt like I had to work on them. Um, and it, that can be a slog, you know, I mean, that can just kind of drag you down when you're churning out parts for, like when I was doing Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Um, and, um, honestly, as much as I love Ties That Bind, also when I was working on Ties That Bind, one of the reasons why it took so long for that last part to come out is I burned myself out on it. Um, because when you're in it, Ties That Bind is perfectly okay to read. I mean, like, you, you, you just kind of, um eases you into it and then by the time it gets to the part in lovely agony where there's blood I, i'm not even blinking but try to read that shit cold without starting at the beginning and you'll be like oh my god kira what's wrong with you you're holding the back of your head because i was holding the back of my head and asking kira what's wrong with you um so being in that headspace for a long period of time was difficult uh not because i think it's particularly awful or particularly horrifying but it is a different headspace that you're writing in um and the darkly Lowell was the same way it was a very different i mean that i literally had a hit list it's it was in an excel spreadsheet and there's a word count and a body count on that fic and i meant it and when you're writing that kind of thing it can it can be really mentally exhausting honestly yeah it can i spent several years in a very working in a very dark series um this is a long time ago and um i i I was really burned out i was really burned out um i think that and and it's and the thing is is i felt i would sometimes take breaks to write other things like sometimes i would take breaks to write you know sometimes something to me that was like more on the humorous end or the fluffy end or whatever just to give myself a mental break and the, one of the hard parts about that was the immediate, like, it, inevitably, one of the first ten comments always was, when are you going to get the next part of such and such on? Right. Um, and it's like, yeah, I know that's what people are waiting for. I I, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, one of the reasons why I did not write season two of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is because every time I put out a part, there was a demand for more and more and more and more and more. And some people didn't even thank me for what they got to begin with. And it was really, it was like, you know what? Uh, I'm doing this shit for free. You need to stay in your fucking lane. It it, it got really frustrating. Um, And I just, I, I couldn't handle it anymore. Um... But what my turning point was actually a better man, which is the first book in my Mandalorian series, because I watched the Mandalorian the first season and I fell in love with Mando. And I, I was like, motherfucker, what? How dare you have this space cowboy baby? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, there was just there was the the reluctant uh paternity 
<laughs> that you that he experiences when he and then by the time you see him in season two and he's got this routine where he cleans the kid up and you know he's 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 really just being a parent even when he's trying to find and the end solution is going to be that he loses um his his child um and the whole way there you're thinking dude do you even know what you're going do you do you know where you're going and then when he gets there in that moment you can you can kind of see and uh he, he the actor did an amazing job getting him in that moment when he recognized that this journey he's been on the whole way was a journey that was going to break his heart and it did it broke his heart and it was honestly gorgeous it was gorgeous but when i wrote um gratua which is the series that i the two books that i have actually i have the third book in progress um i'm at, i'm at 30k right now um i uh i i only like i based it on season one so if you watched the Mandalorian and you only watch season one you could look at Gratua as a continuance of season one um of course it falls apart after season two in season two but what's really what's really fascinating is that I had in the if, if you've read my book you know that Den gets the dark saber and I had it happen in the first scene in my book which I wrote before the season two ever came out so you can, for those of you who've actually watched Mandalorian season two, you can recognize that moment in the last episode where he actually got the dark, the dark saber. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, ha ha, I predicted that. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Because he's not a Mandalorian, he's the Mandalorian. And I, I, I think that's built in, that, that knowledge that he, that he had a bigger destiny than he, than he thought he did. Um... And um, so I really, I really fell in love with the character of Din Djarin and it was, um, it, it was a lovely writing journey and I'm having that writing journey again, not with the Mandalorian, but with a different fandom, with a different set of characters and a different set of circumstances. Are, are you tapping? Tapping? I, I hear tapping. Do you guys hear Oh, it might be my uh, trackpad on my mouse. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, it probably is. Okay, um, I have to, I just have to know what the noises are. I can deal with them. I just have to know what they are because it drives me nuts if I don't know what something is. Like if I, if, if I hear a noise in my house and I don't recognize it, I will hunt that noise to the end of the earth. I mean, I just can't help myself. Um, but uh, so as a writer, having that that urge that demand in my brain to write is really exciting because for there was a while there when it was kind of gone yeah i it is exciting when you have something that is really captivated your interest um whether it's a new fandom or a pairing or a trope or something that just really is speaking to you as a writer um it's hard when another part of the process is kind of um making it difficult or harder like everything about the finishing process in writing right now is just like 
sometimes I'm very into it. It's like I'm very into that detail-oriented editing, putting it up, posting, all that kind of stuff. And I just, it's like my edit pile is enormous. It is just, it's becoming intimidatingly huge. And it's, it's like, I, <laughs> and, and that's, that's, that's difficult. I mean, I'm like sitting there kind of looking at all this stuff going, is this going to be a really big evil author day? <laughs> I, <laughs> I have like this, I have this desire to create a tag like dead dove don't eat, but it's actually about editing or grammarly or, or something because, um, I'm, I'm really tired of this expectation fandom has um, that an author is required to give them free fiction that is perfect. I'm really tired of it. I mean, the entitlement is real. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole, you know, letting you know, just, just letting you know about your typos. Or if it was that whole mentality of I'm just letting you know if it was a mistake I was making consistently that was a significant grammar error or whatever I could almost understand that of like hey I'm just imparting to you I wouldn't appreciate it and I'm not interested in hearing it but I could almost understand it when something is obviously a typo it's a missing word which is my most common typo is um, like a word that doesn't belong like words out of order or missing words that's my most common type of typo especially the missing word Tell me I have a missing word. Okay, thank you. Um, that's not critique. It's not criticism. It's not, it's just, it's just you wanting a perfect product and, and needing to express your displeasure about not getting it. And um, make sure I understand how, how and if I were selling you something, you would have some right to critique it. But I'm not getting anything out of this. So shut up. Shut up. It reminds me of that scene in Still Mind Shut up! <laughs> I fucking love Shirley MacLaine. <sighs> oh my god, if some asshole American corrected my spelling and I was British, I would tell them to suck my whole dick. I mean, honestly, prick. They, they can suck my whole prick. <laughs> Apparently this week the insult is to suck it from the back, which I don't know how you suck someone's dick from the back, but I am willing to engage in this insultery. <laughs> I went and watched that episode of Phil DeFranco, and I had to pause it, rewind it, <laughs> and listen to it again, because he said it with so much seriousness. <laughs> I know, suck my dick from the back. <laughs> that just got worse. It just this went on. It just went on. I'm gonna get so a hall pass. I'm gonna get a hall pass from my wife, so I can fuck your mother, <laughs> right? So that uh, so that she so that you both can call me daddy. You both can call me daddy. She because I am a generous and giving lover, and you because I dominate you on every video media platform that matters. And I was just like, wow, Phil, are you a little mad? <laughs> oh, Phil DeFranco got uh, copyright struck by the Guardian. The Guardian, and inaccurately, um, inappropriately, um, and he lost his shit. <laughs> but suck it from the back could be my most favorite thing I've ever heard a man <laughs> say in my life. Suck my dick from the back. That's how he starts. I was just like, oh, he starts <laughs> off explaining. He starts off explaining what happened about why his video was down for several hours, and then a copyright strike, and then he was reporting on the on the 
the stop oil protest situation in the in the UK, and and he used the clip. Now there there were other clips, news clips, like you know, BBC News had the same clip from a different angle, and CBS News had the same clip from a different angle, and he happened to pick the Guardian's clip. To, to, he won't make that mistake again. And he always credits who the clip is from, and it is commentary, and you know this is this is what and he does attribute. So anyway, it was an inappropriate copyright strike, and he got taken down. But it was it was one of those things to say it did look like because you, you can tell on YouTube kind of how a copyright strike has been done, and um, and he they said it did look like it was done manually, which meant the Guardian had to decide manually. Somebody went and said it wasn't like it was a bot because there are bots that go and look for copyright material. Um, and since Phil does actually dominate the Guardian on every platform by millions upon millions upon millions of views and listens, it was clearly done out of spite. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, it actually would be it's to their benefit to have their clips being used. I think in a um, by a larger um, news on on YouTube and TikTok. He's much bigger than they are. Um. It just make so, I would be thrilled if, if I was them because that's just that's just free exposure for them. Right, but they decided to be petty. Um, and normally I support people's pettiness, but this was just not the thing, you know. So and you I think pettiness in your own like defense is one thing, but pettiness that actually screws your screws you over too is ridiculous. Now, actually, What's that it, phrase it, about your nose cutting your nose off to spite your face? Uh, you know, he actually, um, I, I, I often really enjoy his takes on things, and that's why I watch him. And um, he has some really interesting takes on some of the stuff Taylor Swift this week that I thought was really, really well considered. And um, and he he makes a point of not, like, calling people out, like, by name, usually when this kind of stuff happens. And he, you know, there was a whole hubbub about her video, her nightmare having the word, like, fat appearing on the scale and there's like an, I don't want to engage in like a debate about about whether it was there was a lot of critique about being fat phobic. So he gave his perspective on it. And for anybody who watches film, he's been going through a whole weight loss thing and trying to. He had a health scare and with his health issues, and he's he was like up close to 300 pounds at one point, and now he's below. But um, he said that in his you know in his his opinion that that this was not about a fat phobia, but this was about you know Taylor Swift's eating disorder and about how she has been fat shamed she's gained weight and that you know that this whole that that was a nightmare scenario for her to be back in that situation and so it, his perspective on the video was very different and he didn't feel like it was intended to be that phobic anyway he immediately well, got yeah. he got called out by somebody on social media saying that no no um I don't remember exactly how the tweet was phrased. It was a public tweet, but he made sure to block their name out. So he asked people, please don't go looking for it because he knows that they're a follower of his and he thinks that they meant this in a good way. But they basically said that no person who is a slim bodied has has a right to have an opinion about fat phobia and it, any more than a white person has a right to say something. He made a comment about equating the false equivalency about equating racism to fat phobia. But anyway. Um, he went on to say, and then he said very, just kind of very gently, he said, at what point, at what amount of weight loss, when did I lose the right to have an opinion about my own journey? And I thought right. that was just really, really well done because it, it was like, at what point in my, in my weight loss journey did I lose the right to have an opinion about what, what my own journey has been, which was the opinion he was offering. So 
it was it was uh, he's had several he had really good shows this week but i mean that coming up on that suck my dick from the back starting off with that episode i think it was the thursday show actually was the suck my dick from the back is where that started i was like oh that was bad <laughs> i don't believe she should have edited the video because it wasn't about anybody but her right and her perspective and her journey and what she experiences. And we've all seen reporters fat shame that woman. Unashamedly. There are other women who frankly have no business talking about somebody else's weight. Fat shaming Taylor Swift. There's fucking video of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like she's got a target on her back. About every topic that anybody can find fault with. You know, she dates too much. She, um, she's greedy. She is controlling with her content. She is, um, you know, just, just over and over and over again. Oh, she's fat. She's too thin. She can't keep a man. It's, it's never ending. Yeah, she's a prude. She's a whore. I mean, there's just no end in sight for her. And, um... And it's like, because she is successful, because she does have a lot of money, it's like she's not allowed to have a human experience. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, um, it it was a, the video, I felt like Taylor Swift has kind of earned the benefit of the doubt, because I don't feel like that it is her, her, her way, it's not the way she interacts with the fans, it's not her personality, it is just not her disposition to, to someone said in the chat room that she uses her relationships to create music i don't agree yes her relationships and her experience as a human being end up in her music but as a creative person myself that's that holds true for me too my thoughts my experiences oh okay okay yeah i mean that that is something she gets accused of it's like they don't they don't it's like they're trying to forget that she's actually an artist and that she writes most of her own music and that creative process that that inspiration comes from your life these these are the experiences she's having so of course she's going to write about it it only makes sense that's what songwriters do so i mean it doesn't matter this is a case of where it wouldn't matter what she did they're going to find fault what she did what she does if she's silent about something she'd be criticized for being silent if she says something, she would criticize for saying too much or for the content of what she said. She's in that position of where there's just a lot of people who really want to find something wrong with her and find a reason to hate her. And your your um, mic seems a little distance to me. Is that just me, you guys, or is is it you guys too? I feel like it's a little distant. I mean, it's less than an inch from my mouth, but I don't want to eat it. So <laughs> you're not using your laptop mic by accident, are you? but I will double check. Okay. It's just me. It, it could be just me. Um, <clears throat> but there's a lot of inherent sexism around the topics of like of Taylor Swift, of Miley Cyrus. Um, she's too loud. She's vulgar. She's, uh, you know, let them live. And that's not too much to and ask. that's not too much to I mean, it's just, it's really frustrating. Yeah, Demi Lovato going to rehab and how the press responded to that was disgusting. Yeah. Is that any better? Yeah, it is, actually. But now I'm getting an echo. I'm echoing in my own ear. Let's see. Hmm. 
Now it's better. Yeah. No echo. Okay. My input volume was very, very low, like very low. So that could have been the issue. But I'm also going to check and see what our settings are for. Um, well, we have the echo cancellation applied, which usually results in a good output, even if the... Um, so we'll see. I sound like myself. I also have to be sure to check. I don't know why my input volume got turned down, but it was almost all the way down, which could be explained huh. why my sound like my microphone was so far away if the input volume was almost all the way down. Um, but yeah, so Taylor Swift, she, I feel like she's just, there's just nothing there for me to go, oh, I'm going to assume poor intention here. But I think, you know, but because I give her that benefit of the doubt, my my hunch is that she changed that video because if she felt like people were receiving it in a way that was negative for their own mental health, that she probably changed it for that reason alone. Um, I hope so. I mean, I I hope that was the reason that she focused on, and um, she didn't that she, that she didn't allow it to hurt her, um, because. But yeah, it was just I just thought it was ugly. Somebody telling somebody who's had a significant weight struggle like phil to that they that they don't have a right to have a an opinion about whether or not something is fat phobic but then also to 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 just be so critical of someone's fears around weight when with somebody who has been so targeted on body issues and has struggled with eating disorders and um weight issues and it just it all felt like it was just it, it just, it all felt really unnecessarily ugly. I, um, I recently lost 25 pounds through no fault of my own. <laughs> I guess I can blame my physical therapist, actually, because I have to do all these stupid physical exercises for my knees. Um, so maybe it's that, but I lost 25 pounds without even trying. And I got on the scale at the doctor's office. I said, are you sure this is accurate? I mean, I was flabbergasted. And she was like, what? I said, are you sure this is accurate? She said, um I was like, honey, no, I'm not complaining about how much it is. I'm complaining about how little it is. Because I was 25 pounds heavier in May than this. And my doctor was like, done anything different? And I was like, well, just physical therapy. He said, we're going to run some tests. <laughs> so I had to get a whole bunch of blood drawn just in case. You know, because I do have um, some some health issues that a significant weight loss without an explanation could be cause for concern. So, well, I mean, that's one of the weight loss or gain without explanation. It should always be something you talk to your doctor about because they're, you know, it's alarming. I, I the Matthew Perry thing um, is I was ambiguous about that situation with his being celebrated for his rehab and his sobriety until I found out in two different sections of the book, he complained about actors being dead while Keanu Reeves gets to live. And he said it more than once implying yeah, that, that it would be better if river Phoenix was alive and Keanu Reeves was dead. I don't I, know. I was like, his, are you fucking serious? How how has his, I mean, he's had to come out and issue an apology, but how has his, how has his editor not, did not say, you need to really rethink who you're, because he's now said he could have used anybody as an example, but. Except he did it was, twice. Yeah. I, but how do I just, <sighs> I mean, ugh, 
his publisher just should have spanked him before they let that go to print. I don't know I mean, how I guess... it got past any editor at all, really, to be honest, because right. it is inflammatory. But I guess it's not the publisher's job to make sure you have a future career. I mean, if you're going to go out there with goal, if you're going to put out your, your memoir or whatever with the goal of self-canceling, um, you know, it's not really their job to stop you. <laughs> so... Yeah, but it also, I think it honestly, um, there are, there, there's a fine line between an author's voice and liability. Um, and there are times in when you're publishing um, where you're asked, are, are you sure you're not using a real person? Are you sure you're not referring to circumstances that happened in your life? Um, is this in any single way autobiography? Um, because they don't want to be exposed to legal consequences. And I think there's honestly an argument in those two statements that it was defamation. I mean, he basically said that these talented people died so this untalented asshole could live. Twice. I mean, it's just, it's it's ugly. <laughs> and Keanu, Keanu Reeves is kind of everyone's darling in a lot of ways. I mean, he stays out of the limelight, but... It's because he's just really sweet and generous. You ever see him yeah. in an interview? He's just so yeah. fucking zen and happy to be here. He's so nice to people, and he's so good to his—he's go, so good to the people who, not just—I don't mean not not his fans, but just people he encounters in life. He's very genuine and, and he, he, human with them. He, um, you know, and he lives very—he's um, very down to earth, and it's just like he—he's he's the industry's darling in the in the way because he's so easy to work with and he i mean they, he basically punched a muffin in the face <laughs> <laughs> he's a total muffin <laughs> yeah he did they it's did yeah so, <laughs> so it's just, it was just ill-considered of all the people to go after i mean i don't know why you would i mean i, I maybe he just figured that he, keanu reeves is also like one of the least litigious Oh, that's probably true. He probably won't get sued for it. But it is interesting that he didn't pick... I'm not going to make a list of people who could have been used instead, but there are some serious fucking assholes out there that could have been used instead. I mean, he could have picked his... He could have had his pick from the Me Too list. Let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest. Instead, he picked a cupcake. (laughs) Speaking of cupcakes... I wrote a line today for Christopher that I almost peed my pants laughing by the that time I got it signed. Is it the one you sent me right yes. before the podcast? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I I busted out laughing. I literally laughing out loud. That was... I <laughs> I died. Anyways. I... Uh, it was... I really amused myself. I, I really amused myself. Um... There's something really charming about riding Christopher when he's young. He's like four. Um, it's just it's it's really charming to 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 write Christopher at a very young age. Um, I really enjoyed writing Harry Potter at a really young age in um, the absence of war. Um, he was eight, seven or eight, eight. Um, eight, I think. Eight. Yeah, eight. It's it's really interesting to write your character younger, um, and have that perspective for them it's just it's really interesting i think i wrote buck at he might have been 10 
Maybe. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, because I think it was the if it was the year that yeah, because I think you yeah the yeah the, the canon year that Arcturus died. Um, which yeah, so it was nineteen ninety. So he was ten. You're right, Mrs. Not. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, thank you. I, thank you very much. I think <laughs> I think I wrote Buck <laughs> as um, my summer one of my summer rough trade projects. I think I wrote Buck as eight, and it was it tore my heart out. I don't even want to talk about that. It was interesting. <laughs> It was fun. You broke my that's... feelings, Jilly. <laughs> I broke my own feelings. But the hard thing about that, the hard, you know, the hardest thing about that, as much as I enjoyed writing Bucket Eight, was writing a story that focuses on Buck being that young. Is there's no Christopher? <laughs> my, right. I, like, I thought of my unicorn as not existing yet. I mean, Christopher will eventually exist. That's. It's that's harsh. I actually had an idea. Um, about writing uh, pre-Christopher um, Bucket Eddie meeting before Christopher was born. And I, I was like, nope. <laughs> I just, I couldn't do it. Nope. I just can't. <laughs> what? <laughs> nope. Not going to happen. I also do have one in progress where um, Buck and Eddie are married when um, Eddie is shot in the army and Christopher in is actually Buck and his because um, Buck's a it's a male preg um, and so he's at work when somebody uh, when an officer from the army comes to tell him that his husband has been shot in the line of duty and I've written the first chapter um, and I was like then I got distracted and didn't write any more on it and I also Getting have another one where it's a the male version of I wrote uh, a story where Buck is a girl, um, and uh, it's on my EAD, where he has, where she has a daughter named Everest. Um, well, I wrote it with a male version um, recently, and where it's Buck and Everest, and he's a carrier again. Cause I'm really interested in this male preg thing. Um, inexplicable babies. <laughs> it's coming up, you guys. And... Um, She's she's four, and it starts with uh, Buck working at a different fire station, and um, his captain's an asshole. And during a difficult rescue, his captain made a mistake and nearly got Buck killed. Unfortunately, it was videotaped, or it was recorded, and it ended up on the internet. And, of course, the rescue ended because the dude punched Buck in the face for complaining about his mistake that he made. And so... Everest is like trying to make her dad keep an ice pack on his face twenty four seven because she's concerned, and it's just that that's how it starts. He's sitting on the couch and she's four, and she's holding an ice pack to his face. <laughs> it's been two or three days. He doesn't need an ice pack, but he's doing it anyway because she wants him to. And that was my opening scene for that for that particular story. And I was just stupidly charmed by the whole idea. Um, and uh. He takes her over to the 118 because he gets an interview with with Bobby Nash about joining his station. Um, and she asks Eddie if Captain Nash hit him because she doesn't want her daddy to work for another captain that would hit. And um, I'm I'm very charmed by her, Everest. So <sighs> there's that too. Inexplicable babies. I also have a wish baby. <laughs> and a wish baby. I have a wish might be a progress too. Um, it's Buck and Eddie, of course, because, like I said, I'm, I've, I've been in love forever, right? And um, there's a line where 
I don't want to say it, but where Buck is basically, Bobby asked him how he got here with this wish baby because he didn't know that Buck was wishing for a baby and Buck's a single parent. And they're just like, how did you get here, dude? And he was like, and he explained it all. And then he ended it with Eddie having ruined his life. Because <laughs> it's all, everything, everything was Eddie's fault. Um, you know, as it, as it is. A wish baby. I think wish babies are honestly one of the sweetest and most infectious ideas in fandom. Yeah, it's 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 an adorable concept. I labored I, over naming that baby. <laughs> I keep I keep starting wish baby stories that wind up with no wish baby though. So it's you know I'm gonna have to work on myself a little bit. I'm like, how do I keep getting so derailed from the point? I don't know. I'm also 10k into the next part of Requiem. Um. It basically opens up with the little girl baby with the little girl beauty pageant, which just freaks them both out. Um, and Buck has a different perspective because he's got a daughter in in Requiem, and he turns to Eddie. He says, "If I ever," <laughs> and he's like, "Don't worry, I'll put your ass in the hospital." <laughs> you know? just, uh, we're not doing that. But um, oh, I just I'm. I'm really just really pleased with my process lately. And so I'm a little all over the place. Um, I've, I don't even know how much I've written this year. Oh, I could look it up, but um, I had done a, I had done a thing, um, but it's in a different area. I, I mean, I, I mean, over 300 K. Oh, can you guys hear me? Yep. Add a moment. I could. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm at 626,000 words this year so far. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah. So I'm really I'm people. really just in love with myself right now. Just in just all up in my feelings about my writing. <clears throat> I opened Small Magic the other day. And I read it and I got to the part where I should be writing, you know, where I should start writing, you know, when you read something, you know, when you do that, as one does. And I went, nope. <laughs> and closed it. You know, that happens to me, like, way too much. As I'll <laughs> sit down, I'll sit down with a project. And by the time I've reread it, and I'm, I'm caught up to where I need to be in order to work on the project, I'm like, nah, I'm not feeling it anymore. I was feeling it 100,000 words ago, but I'm not feeling it anymore. <laughs> Dude, I literally have one plot point left in Small Magic, and you guys know what it is. Can you skip it? <laughs> I don't know, Jillian. Can you skip the Battle of the Five Armies in a Hobbit pick? <laughs> I mean, you can. It depends. Did anything different? How much different happens? I, I don't know. I mean, it would be very different since all those magical people are involved. Yeah. So... <laughs> the author and wave of destiny shit happens <laughs> rocks fall orcs die move on <laughs> oh jace oh <sighs> honey um uh, next time you you want to open up an old project do a copy paste and create a copy of your project then read the copy that way, if you do something crazy, you won't have done it to your original document. And it will lower your regret. Because I've, I've been there and I've done that. I've deleted, um, 
But also, when I have a habit of keeping a scrap file in, like, I file my projects by file in file folders. Um, and then I'll have a scrap file in each project where I will cut material out and paste it into that scrap file in case I want to use it later. Yeah, I, it's rare that I don't use a cut file. It happens. There are sometimes I just go, no, I, my, like, my visceral reaction to something I wrote is so negative that I just, it needs to go. But that's unusual. That's really the exception. Most of the time, things go up. I mean, sometimes there's stuff that's in that cut file that I, later on, I go back and look at it and go, why did I keep that? It, I mean, what, what about that is not easily reconstructable that I needed to save it, you know, but. You know, whatever. I'm so used to just moving things into the cut file that that that's my usually my my habit. But every once in a while, there's a moment where um, I just go, "No, no, <laughs> what was I thinking? Oh my god, <laughs> I've lost my mind. Did um, I have another but, head injury? What happened? Exactly. Like MRI? <laughs> but no, I but, mean honestly, I highly recommend a, a cut scrap file i really do i it's very beneficial because a lot of times like even like a year later i'll go back to my scrap file and find something that um i was looking for that i couldn't find anywhere else in the fic and i'm like i know i wrote this and i need i need it i need it and it will be in my scrap file yeah there is one story i i i, I probably could find it because i you know the files are still there but I started it. The, scr- the cut file was the start of the story, like six versions. And I started the story, and I renamed. And I went, no, I, I started that. I started that badly. And so I renamed the file bad, like you know, file name bad start. And so then I went and started again. And I went no. And then I went okay. So and so I put bad start too, you know. And then and I get I went through like six versions of bad starts. So I have like so instead of a cut file, I just have a bunch of starts that went nowhere. And by that point, I had written like 20,000 words on the story that was all <laughs> usable in my opinion. Um, and uh, one of them was like you know bad start. It I stopped numbering. I think the last one was bad start what the fuck was I thinking or something like that. <laughs> That's hilarious because I opened up a, um, I had a zip file in my writing archive and I, it, it was a bunch of, uh, my, my husband had put a bunch of content from some um, floppy disks. I know. Um, into a zip file for me. And I tossed that zip file in my backup as one does. And I opened it and there was a folder in there and it said shit idea. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I opened that and there were four documents and it was like decent idea, good idea, better idea, best idea yet. It was all four of the same story. Wow. So it was like, <laughs> while I'm praising myself, you're downing yourself. <laughs> this is a terrible start. This is a badly written episode. Yes, it was. There's makes no sense to be choppy, crushy things here. <laughs> what was in the episode? This episode was badly written, and I'm not doing it. It was badly written. That was a terrible thing to put in the middle of a fucking ship. You know, sometimes I come up with ideas that I kind of hurt my own feelings so badly with them that it makes them hard to work on. It's like, even though the stories themselves aren't sad, it's like, why, why am I doing this to myself? am I doing them to myself um and um 
Jillian doesn't kill her darlings, but she likes to torture the fuck out of them. Sometimes I kill them, and that's the problem with this one. It's because the story that was I was writing when I um I I was it was when we did the Battle of the Five Fandoms or was it the episode challenge? Mm-hmm. And I I was writing a story. It was a mothership story. And um, I think I put up two episodes to the episode challenge, maybe three. I don't remember how far I got. And I was at the point of where Tony's sort of like surrogate sister is explaining his, to Steve his romantic past and that he had been involved with somebody who they'd broken up in college. And then he had his, his, because uh, the guy was closeted and couldn't, couldn't come out and um, was in the military da, 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 and that, 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 that it, it, it it had all kind of fallen apart because they'd never had the chance to kind of you know resolve things because he had died on 9-11 right so i and i so i i had written that that is where i had gotten to in that writing of that that next episode was that moment and then I thought sliding doors. Like, well, what if there was that the moment where, you know, when t- instead of Tony being left at the altar, um, Ethan. And so I could see this whole backstory for Tony when I was working on Catalyst. And so I had this this idea of like, well, what if, what if, you know, I, and I worked on the character. And this is a dead character, right? This guy is dead. And yet I'm sitting there working <laughs> up who he was and how he and Sarah related to one another and all this stuff, right? So I'm working on all this stuff. And I was like, this guy's dead. I don't know why I'm doing this. And then I kind of got the sliding doors idea of like, well, what if, Ethan had and Tony had gotten reinvolved and Ethan was talking to Tony and he wasn't up in the building that day and what if his involvement with Tony made a difference in whether or not he survived um, being in New York that day and um, this kind of the problem is I've moved forward with the 4U series not that any of you know that but I have moved forward with it um, and I'm fine working on it it's hard to go back and work on Catalyst because in Catalyst Ethan is dead <laughs> Well, and apparently then, he's dead in the background of most of your stories. He is. He is dead in the background of most of my stories. And so I had developed this headcan. I worked so much on the character of Ethan and I and, and in this this background of Tony's college years of he and he and um he and Ethan having met and, and it was his first love and all that business, that it became my headcanon that that was unless it didn't fit the story for some reason that that was tony's backstory and that he he you know he and ethan had never reconciled and ethan had died so it is it is a background detail in my own head that ethan is dead in most of my stories (laughs) whatever don't don't be mad at me and but it it's harder in catalyst because it actually comes up and they're talking about it and sarah is a key character in in that story and blah 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 and i was like why did i do this to myself <laughs> i went and took a story i was making good progress on mm. and a series i was making good progress on and like two at least two episodes are completely finished like they're edited they've even been through beta and they're just sitting there because it hurts my feelings to work on that series so i'm like do i finish it out the way i had planned um or do i change the, the storyline so there's less focus on on tony's past and his and and just let the, and just let it be done just let it be done uh, yeah there she is did a, another story where um, ethan is a sentinel right yes yes and that's called desiderata and that is uh, ethan's he's the president in that story 
That was last November, I think. When I wrote When Angels Fear to Tread, I put a little note in my zero draft to give Charlie's best friend a name. Now, the problem with that is that in canon, Charlie is dead. So, in any story that I have where Charlie is dead, I keep wondering what happened to Esther (laughs) when she didn't have Charlie and her mother didn't care. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) And it really hurt my feelings because I like her a lot. And why did I do that to myself? The same reason you did that to yourself. And the thing is, is that when you... um, There's something special about creating your own character as much as i love the character of jack o'neill or charlie um although an adult version of charlie basically is an oc because we don't know anything about him and how he would be as an adult um there's something special about an original character that you that you birth in your mind because um they um they're very special and it's easy to get attached to them um which is why killing your darlings is so difficult uh i love the character of everest which is why she ended up in a different story altogether um because while i do want to finish the story with the rule 63 buck um it's not really compelling for me but everest was uh so she kind of like migrated into a different story um do you react emotionally to a character who is just a name in the canon i'm very attached to ragnar windrider um yeah, I think that's um, what she meant. Is, is it having developed a character that is just a name? Yeah, you can get you can get very attached to them because if you're giving them their backstory, um, they essentially become an original character to you. Um, Miko is a good example of that in Stargate. Um, I am most especially attached to the Miko in Ties That Bind. Um, very much so. One of the things that is rough if a canon is dead, like. Or relatively dead. We'll call it relatively dead. Like Harry Potter or Stargate or whatever. Um, I'm much more willing to take a, 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 just a name on the screen or the name on the page and develop them into my own character. Because weirdly, and, and part of the reason is because <clears throat> I think it, it is good to flesh out the characters that are there. Um, but also audiences connect weirdly better to a name that's familiar. And you'll get a little mm-hmm. bit less of that resistance to an OC, even though you're effectively giving them an OC. Um, and I I find some some fandoms, authors, I mean, readers are more resistant to OCs than they are in some fandoms than they are in others. But in a in a in a live canon where the canon there's still new canon being produced actively, I would be very hesitant about developing a. Uh, a character that was new or or was just a name on the screen yeah because they turn into a serial killer in season three <laughs> right and you're like oh shit shit um and then people and then sometimes people think you're being an asshole and it's like could you look at the publication dates i wasn't being an asshole i just didn't know um and sometimes it's like there actually is um i some characters i just use by name are characters that are just called out by name like in my 911 stories they're just called out by name on the show but there were two that um i are accidental duplications of character names one is jones which there is apparently a character that is called out by names by name name who is named jones i actually didn't register that when i named the character jones um 
his last name is Jones, because I I was just I I developed three OCs for um my nine one one verse, and um two of them for the engine and one of them for the ladder truck to fill specific needs that I had, mm-hmm. and um I happened to pick. The name Jones was generic, so that kind of duplication. But the super, other one... It's like Jones Smith. I mean, I would use it too. Yeah, because it's super yeah. generic. Which is probably but why there they is apparent- <laughs> Yeah, there is apparently a, a character named Jones. But it's some. I think it's a character you only ever hear called out. Because somebody said something to me about it at one point. I don't even remember what the context of was, which they brought up to me. And I said, no, I'm not using a canon character. I don't know what you're talking about. And, um, and um, what was it? I was helping somebody look for, um, I, I, I was helping somebody cast, do a, do a fan casting uh, for somebody for sort of that sort of, um, let's see if I've got the right, if that, it, there's, a, there's an actress, I think, whose last name is, her first name is Callie or something like that. And I was helping somebody do some fan casting or something. And mm-hmm. we were looking at lists of actresses or something. And I, I sent back the name to her of, well, what about this actress? And, um, and um, she said, Oh yeah, that'll work. And, uh, and, and I don't remember if it was the first or last name. I think it's her. I think it's her first name. It's the actress's first name is Callie, Callie something. Anyway, and so I named, and I, I mean, I just, sometimes I pick names for characters as I am doing stuff like that. Like, I named a character in um, uh, one of my pro books after my get local gas station. Like, the actual <laughs> gas station. You know, it's like, I'm trying to think of a name, and I'm like, oh, I like the name of that gas station. He is driving along. Um... <laughs> And so I was, I was, I sent this actress's picture to somebody, and um, so I named a character um, Alyssa Callie. I inverted where where the name was, and there is a character named Callie apparently on nine one one. And but I think it, I think they're male. I think that they've been identified for sure as being male. Um, so so and so somebody and I didn't again. I don't keep track of all the the people that have been called out by name on nine one one episodes because there's probably. They, they're, it's not consistent episode over episode of who these characters are. Um, but somebody asked me about it and said something about me, Rule 63 and Callie or something like that. I said, I don't What are you talking about? And, <laughs> well, they probably read your story, then heard the name over the, heard the name on the show and made the connection. Yeah, probably. And so what, you know, but there, I try not to have a connection between the OCs that I'm going to be use, using significantly and um, and and the actual undeveloped characters on, on, a, on a show with a live canon. Because if that character winds up being an asshole, then, You're you know, it winds it. up just creating, you know, I'm stuck with them and it creates a complication. And people are like, what were you trying to say by making this douchebag a nice person? It's like, I wasn't saying anything at all. So it is. It is always a risk. I do like developing, taking a character that is unexplored in a canon, or is just a name on the page, and you get nothing else about them, and doing something with them. I find that to be very intriguing. But it's something I wouldn't really do with a live canon. Now, I know, kind of technically, in a way, Harry Potter is sort of a live canon. But I would, if you, if you, a lot of people just consider the, the seven books to be the canon, and they just kind of ignore everything else. And I'm one of those people. Seven books of the canon and kind of fuck everything else. 
I'm not Especially some of the things they've children. done with like Minerva's character. Come on now. Yeah, don't, and a lot of some don't wreck on her age. Wait, right? And some, some of the stuff sh- in like Pottermore, I was like, I'm just not interested in Fleamont. No, thank you. I, no. I just, I just erased that straight out of my mind. Um, that could have been the family dog, maybe, but that's that. Know. That's you'll actually, honestly, that's going to be the name of the dog in my next book, my next Harry Potter <laughs> book. You watch, um, because uh, that's a no for me, dog. That's a no. That that's that, a that's, no. <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you guys will be in on it when you see it. <laughs> so, Just and, and I, <laughs> I'm not a follower of the Fantastic Beasts um, arc at all. I, I haven't watched the movies. I didn't read the book. I did do a teeny, teeny bit of research into some of the timeline events so that I could write a Leo Moto because it happens right at the time that Fantastic Beasts is happening. So it helped me a little bit with some timeline stuff. But I. Other than that, no. I just, I just kind of erase all that. I'm, I'm not interested in. And when it comes to some of the stuff that came out about, um, like Nagini, it for me is kind of a take it or leave it kind of thing. If somebody puts that into the into the canon as being um, the maledictus as being what Nagini's maledictus, I'm like, okay, I can accept they're going with the canon, but they choose to just have her be a snake. I'm like okay, I'm I'm good there too because the maledictus thing freaks me the fuck out. I'll just be straight. It is it is honestly, but it's it's hard for me to overlook now that I've seen it. It's really hard I, for me to overlook, and um, so so I have put it in my stuff. One thing I would say about creating original characters and putting them in your work, um, is that one of the ways I don't often get blowback on using original characters in my fan fiction, but one of the ways I think that is beneficial for my readers is that I use an ensemble um, for it, for each fandom that, that I work in. Like, I have a set of characters that are original characters in Harry Potter. I have a set of characters that I use in um, in Stargate. Um, I'll, I have some original characters that I've made for um, 911. Um, so whenever I need something, okay, I'll put Cosmo here. Um, or, you know, or I'll put Thaddeus Banner here. Um, and so... When my readers see Thaddeus Banner in one of my Harry Potter works, they're comfortable with him because they've seen him repeatedly in other works, which is why I don't think I got one veiled complaint about Fireborn, um, which was devoid of canon characters. Um, and it was basically that they had waited very a long time to read it because it was nothing but OCs. Fair. <laughs> yeah, and I I understand. I mean, I, I get people's hesitance about OCs. A lot of times, I read an OC work, or um, has I myself, who think authors need to use more OCs, am often hesitant to pick up a story that is OC focused because I it I'm like, is this a glorified reader author insert? Is what is my question, right? Um, mm-hmm. But like with Fireborn. I never, I certainly didn't feel like that, but also Fireborn for me um, is a lot more, it, it feels like an ex- exploration of uh, like magic and world building in the Dwarf culture and stuff. And it's not really um, Harry Potter exactly. It's not really getting into the whole Harry Potter world building mm-hmm. mythos and what's going on with the Harry Potter stuff. That's sort of outside the scope. I mean, I, I, because you've posted your your project files we know that that's kind of somewhat come into the scope of, of later books but this was more about 
uh, your world building and your the the interactions and and the the per- the development of the relationships of these characters within the um, the diverger society, which has nothing to do with you know anything that happened in the Harry Potter books. So it to me it was a very different than reading if I had seen a summary like um, um. Leon Anderson was a muggle-born wizard who was never sure of his place in society until he walked into Gringotts Bank for the first time and met um, and met Ragnarok Windrider. And then I'd be sitting there kind of sitting there going, who is Leon Anderson and why do I care about him? You know, <laughs> because you know what I mean? I mean, and you see yeah. that that when, when the when the story is positioned in that way, but actually it would be a better comparison to say um, that he walked into the bank and went, met Bill Weasley, right? Because there's usually this weird kind of intersection of where the tags and stuff tell me the story is about canon characters. But the mm-hmm. way the summary is positioned is it's about, it's fo- really very OC focused, right? So you see this a, there's a lot in the contemporary fandom, especially lately. Um, like, uh, we'll use Leon Anderson again. Leon Anderson finished his, his training at the Fire Academy um, and walked into the 118 um, an- anxious to start his, his life as a firefighter and ran into the brother that he's been looking for for the last 20 years. And it was like, well, okay. Who's Le- Again, <laughs> you're going, who's Leon? And why do we care what Leon is doing? And and the tags all make it look like, you know, like the story's about, you know, and for Leon's with Eddie and, and, and Buck is with, let's say Buck is with um, Lou or whatever. Um, and it's, it's like, but okay, but it, the tags make it pos- position like that the story is very focused on 118 and, da, 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 and the canon characters. But the summary is very focused on Leon and his first day and he, he's running into his brother. And, and it's like, I just don't like Leon. <laughs> I really don't like Leon. I don't even know Leon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like him. <laughs> so, this is not. I mean, this. I I admit, I'll be straight up. I avoid stories that are positioned like that. So I understand people's hesitance about reading. Um. Oh yeah, I get it. I went into that RT expecting people to not read it. But here's the here's one of the things that's different is if 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 I knew this author. And I had met Leon as a secondary or tertiary character, mm-hmm. and they had developed Leon slowly. And I, Leon, the lost Buckley sibling, was well known to me in other functions throughout, or whatever. And it was a beloved character. Um, and then they introduced a story that was very focused on Leon. I would be like, okay, okay, I, I'm curious to read this, and that's that's what you did. Even though there were some new, even though there were new OCs, we you have you had introduced us to Roselle before in more than one story. You've certainly introduced us to Tyr in more than one story. We we know Ragnarok, we know Lenore, um, and Le- now Lenore and Ragnarok had had their moment as main characters in all the worlds, so we really got mm-hmm. to know them. Um, but all of these characters that, especially your two central characters, Roselle and and Tyr, were are not like we've never heard of them before it's not like you... yeah and that that does make a difference but you have pushing your oc into the back door <laughs> you, it was, you, yeah we had a backdoor pilot okay we had a backdoor pilot <laughs> we had a backdoor pilot 
I think it's really helpful because if I sat down and wrote a story that was told entirely from Matthew Shepard's point of view and it's about finding out that his brother is is not on the planet anymore um and he goes through this 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 journey of finding him and reuniting with with John um I don't worry at all about my readers fussing about it I don't um not the way I do Harry Potter because Harry Potter is another animal. But if I busted out a Matthew Shepard's original story and stuck it on my Stargate, well, thank you. The thing is, there's a certain percentage of people of your readership that still thinks Matthew Shepard is a canon character. So right, you know. <laughs> they do. They they really do. They really do. But um, it like for instance when I wrote the absence of war, I honestly was worried about putting too much of Armand Deering's point of view in it when I was writing it because he was an OC. And Harry Potter fans get honestly there's some there's some serious assholery in the Harry Potter fandom, okay? And it one of the most assholish comments I got about the absence of war was why that I didn't um have Harry and Hermione as a pairing. They're ten <laughs> They're ten in that story. It's not about them. <laughs> it's not about them. They were never listed as a pairing. What people, they're like more than one person was like, "I wish I'd been more scenes with Harry and Hermione." It wasn't about them. It was barely about Harry. It. it I mean, I. I told you there was there was search on Reddit for for fic, and this is just way way some people think. It was such a, it was such a weird. I want to get the phrasing exactly right. Because um, it came up in my feed, as you might be interested in this. And um, Reddit never gets that right for me, by the way. But I don't blame Reddit. I do some weird things on Reddit that I don't want to talk about. It says, the person says, this is the, what the person was looking for. I'm looking for Harry Potter fix where Harry is the main character. That was it. That was the sum okay. total okay. of of what... <laughs> Of of the limits, the bounds by which they were um, we can, limiting. We can help you out with that. <laughs> and some, and the thing is, but the thing is, that is some people's <coughs> um, delineator, right? For for what they're willing to read is is Harry a main character or not? And if he's not, they don't want to read it. It's the Harry Potter series, right? So, you know. But for me, I was like. There's probably a million stories that are going to meet that ask between different platforms. You know, there's probably like literally a million stories. It, it, go fucking search. You know, I didn't say anything. I, I don't Reddit troll. It's just, but it was just such a bizarre. Like, I'm looking for Harry Potter fix where Harry Potter is the main character. And what they basically got in response was people just giving them links to other rec lists, right? Like, what's the matter with you? You can read all okay. these. You can read all these. But what they might have really been saying is, is I want to read a Harry Potter fic about Harry Potter and not your self-insert. Well, that could be. There's, I mean, reader insert <laughs> is 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 on the ah. rise. It is. Oh, and, stop and, it. And with, with, with reader insert being on the rise, author insert is also on the rise. Um, there was a fandom I was looking into. A big fandom. And I'm not talking about a small, small fandom here. I'm talking about a fairly big fandom. And I was like, I was like, eventually I got curious, like, okay, well, what is the most, I was looking initially at specific pairings. I was like, what is the, like, the most popular story in this fandom? It was a 
reader insert fic. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. The most popular story by Kudos. I always go by Kudos because comments are not a way to judge. Because um, that's really art or can be artificially inflated. Um, but by Kudos, it was this reader insert fic. And I was like, what is, the, what is happening in the world? Um, <laughs> I... Um... Someone mentioned earlier in the chat about being surprised how often Harry appeared in um, the absence of war. Harry in the absence of war is a them- is a thematic element. His 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 fate, um, his circumstances. Um, he is the link between Armand and Sirius Black. He is a in some ways. And I don't mean this to be you you meant deep humanizing he's a monument for them both in that they both observe him and recognize that their failures created him that he is the way he is because of the mistakes that they made and that is a central theme so when he comes up in um the absence of war it's about the journey they're they're both having with with harry and what it means um, to come to terms with what they did, what they didn't do, and what the results of that was. Um, that's probably a little deep. <laughs> but that's the truth. No, I get it. I mean, I, it's, not, it's not the same, but there's a similar thread in where it, with Slytherin Black in that when Zayd and, and Sirius are talking, because, you know, Zayd initially thinks they'd be focusing on... on the Horcruxes and and Sirius has them like on this. We're we're getting my kid, and then you know Zay confronts him and says, "Well, what is going on? What is the what is your mission really? What is happening with all this?" And and finally, when Sirius comes clean about everything that's happened, he says, "I am I'm going to do. I'm going to fulfill my bargain with death because that is what I have to do in order to have have this opportunity. But my only mission." is to save Harry. That's all I care about. That is my mission. And and there was this disconnect for a little while because they f- effectively for a little while were on separate missions, right? Zade thinks mm-hmm. he's on a Horcrux hunt basically, although he wasn't calling it that. And Sirius is just on a Harry hunt. <laughs> right, <laughs> so yeah. They're not on the same path. And so for Sirius, Harry is getting Harry back and taking care of him and being his his father is um, Lady Holder is just on the links tonight. She's just providing, yeah, she providing, is. providing. It is. It is very. Um, it, it's, it's both symbolic and emblematic for him. It, it means everything to him. This is this is what I have to do. I cannot get this part wrong. So, um, I've last the story that you wanted to tell. I also I had a reader read me just like just go off on me about how little perspective they got on Hermione in all the world. Really? Oh god, yeah. They they wanted to know all about her classes that she took. They wanted to they oh, want okay. they 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 said that I was um basically they called me a, a misogynist for not including um giant chapters on Hermione learning how to conjure ice i don't know i mean i didn't get that far um it's like but the thing is and they obviously missed it um is that the that all the world wasn't about harry and hermione's relationship it wasn't about um what they were learning 
individually. It was about Harry's journey and accepting his role and his fate. And it was about Ragnarok coming to terms with the choices that he made in the future, the choices he was forced to make, the choices that he made when he came back in time, and what that meant for his relationship with Harry Potter. Because that was the thrust of the story. It was about Ragnarok and Harry coming to terms with each other um, in very different circumstances. Um, Herm Hermione wasn't a main character in the story. Hermione was a catalyst in the story. Um, it opens with Ragnarok reaching out and inviting Hermione to tea. Um, because he needs information. And once she realizes what he's going to do, um, she gives him all the information that he needs to make a better life for her and Harry. Um, so she's a catalyst. She was never meant to be a main character. But some readers will go into a story expecting one thing. And when they don't get it, they are unspeakably cruel and unreasonable. Especially Harry. Now, Hermione. if you want to read a Shippers. love letter to Hermione Granger, go read Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Or courting Hermione <laughs> um, Granger. Or courting Hermione Granger, which is 100% a, a, a epic love letter to Hermione Granger. But, I mean, I feel like that, for starters, I felt like we got a fair bit of Hermione, like as much as you could reasonably put in without um, it being a slog. Like it was, yeah, if, well, feeling like you were mess, mess, messing with your pace or going off track putting in subplots that don't didn't didn't feel like they fit um which of course is your right to do but you didn't do that so you stayed you stayed away from you know going over into into that line of effect of affecting the story to our our um, artificially inflate um i kind of pride myself on a really tight plot i don't often go off on a tangent um it it doesn't serve my process and I find it deeply unsatisfying and when it comes to the fan fiction that I write I'm writing for me I'm yeah. writing to irritate me and that shit doesn't irritate me <laughs> and that's also how I got to Fireborn because I didn't irritate me <laughs> I got bored I got stupid bored <laughs> with Harry Potter I'm like I need a solution <laughs> and Tyr Warhide was my solution you are welcome <laughs> I'm super looking forward to November. But it's just, to me, it's interesting because, like I said, in that story, I feel like we got a fair amount of Hermione um, mm -hmm. that didn't, like, devolve into class schedules and stuff because that would have not fit. But it's not like you have anything to prove on the the development of, of Hermione as a character. It's like you just use her as a de plot device all the time because you don't. You have, you know you've proven your chops in terms of writing Hermione, but this was not her story. So you can't develop every character to the, if you, if you, if you treat every character like a main character, you've got 500,000 words and you get nothing done. Well, that's exactly what people readers of fandom are often used to seeing. Um, and if you want to have that experience, there are plenty of places you can go to do it, but I'm not the one. I read something that somebody had really recommended really highly, and I'm, I mean, it got it started off okay, but it kind of devolved into this, you know, every there were too many points of view, too many main characters. Um, it just was kind of like, uh, for me, for my taste, it felt very sloppy, 
Um, like, it was just all over the place. And mm-hmm. he started getting to the point where they couldn't figure out how to relay, you know, like, two characters were really critical to an event. So they would tell the event from one character's point of view. Instead of just having the other character react to what had happened, they would retell that chapter. And one time I got to the point that I think four characters, they retold the chapter four times to get it from four different characters' point of view. And I, that's just when I stopped heinous. reading. That is that I just stopped reading. And I was like, I just can't. That just, I mean, some people really, I really get some people really like that. And if and if that's your speed, Harry Potter's a great fandom for you. Because there's a lot of stories that just kind of, uh, to me, it's, for me, it's wandering aimlessly. It Like, it, it just kind of, I don't know how these authors, I'm not surprised that these, they want people wind up with 700,000 word works in progress. Because the stories are kind of aimless. They don't really kind of go anywhere. And, um. And when you're just drifting from event to event, telling it from three or four different people's point of view, um, that's just not a slog that I want to power through for 700,000 words or whatever it is. And like there was one story that actually I was really enjoying it. This one, this, there was another one that was actually, I would say it's the opposite problem and that it was actually pretty tight, but it was too long. I mean, I was enjoying it and it was a lot of good plot points, but after 250,000 words and there's like another 175,000 to go. It was, it was mm. the finished work. I was like, the problem is the narrative flow. If, if they had just ended it and said end of book one and had an ending arc and then let, let it be done. There is an emotional catharsis the reader goes through when a story ends and then the next one begins and you start going back up again. That lack of catharsis, it just felt like it was just, it took the story it was pretty tight and it just by about 250,000 words it just felt like a slog it like I felt exhausted and it was yeah. like I don't and I've tried getting past that point and I always kind of fizzle out around the same spot so um I just I mean I know that some people really just want longer more longer more longer more and so they will push at well why didn't you write more of this character's point of view or why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that and it's like if you want to read those kinds of stories, there's the kinds of stories are out there for you. I am not interested in putting myself through that. Did you see what Az wrote? She says, it isn't a story. It's a hostage situation. The words are on a forced march into the wilderness. <laughs> it's 100% true. I've... I had a friend, his wife took him on a backpacking trip around Mount Rainier, and that's exactly how he described it. He goes, well, she said they went on a backpacking trip because it was a forest march. And, <laughs> and she said something, and he said, and who had to carry the stove? <laughs> I was like, I'm not getting in the middle of this. <laughs> um, I, you know, I try not to let... But I'm not successful. We already know this. I try to let readers ruin things for me. I try. Yeah, I try. You do try, and and um, and it it can be very you, as much as you can try. Outright abuse sometimes it can it can kind of mess you up for a day or two. But it's the passive aggressive stuff that somebody thinks um they're getting past you, but they're not getting past you. You know, it's like that. It's like nobody gets anything passive aggressive past me. And it came up. There was a story that I was, um, I had decided that was going to be the story I was going to work on next in terms of finishing. It was be my next finishing project. And I'd picked it. And I had picked it while I was out at the 
doctor's office one day, actually, and I get home and I have, I pulled it up and I stupidly had gone to check my email and somebody had found another place on my site um, to comment it was completely off topic and say, I can't wait until you post this story. The one that I was planning on working on that day. And it was, it was a, it was a prod for sure. It, it, it put in an inappropriate place, but I was just like, well, I guess I'm not working on that today because when it comes to something like when you, when you embarking on a big story, especially if it's something that's like a hundred thousand words and you're going to have to read it and edit it. And then you got more scenes to write. You're committing a lot of time and effort. And when you're starting off with somebody passive aggressively prodding you about it, it's like, not now, not today, Satan. Anytime I get close, and I do mean any, it's it's like it's like the universe thumps me in the back of the head every time I get close to thinking about working on Phoenix. Some asshole comes along and asks about it. And it's like not today, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just not today. <laughs> it just. Well, I mean, it's not even that hard just to not bug people about it. I mean, it, it just don't bring up stuff that isn't there. I mean, it's it's just weird. It's just I had a are. story on my site as a sneak peek for a while, and it was a it was kind of like an experimental project I worked on, and I wanted to share it, and I wasn't sure what I would ever do with it, and it was I called it Dimensional Shift because I didn't have a title for it. Um, and it's about Harry um, going through one dimension after another looking for his soulmate. He's looking for the right version of Draco Malfoy because his, the Draco Malfoy in his world died and um, he's looking for his soulmate and he finds him. Now I took it down because I eventually became deeply dissatisfied with the structure. Now I know a lot, there are people who are talking right now about how much they liked it. A lot of readers did. I got a lot, I got a fucking fuck ton of feedback on that story that was really positive and wonderful and I'm grateful but I personally found the narrative eventually I found it jarring and uncomfortable um which means that I looking back on it and having read it like in the last six months I don't see a way forward with it because I find the structure so fucking uncomfortable and I have like this, this, this cognitive dissonance problem in my brain or something. It's just, there's something about it putting me off and I don't know what it is. And it, and until I figure it out, it's never going to be anywhere ever again. That isn't the same issue I have with Phoenix. Phoenix is something different. It was a personal fix that which I'd never shared. And people were, got very demanding and rude and someone threatened my life over it and I took it down. It wasn't the first death threat I got in the Harry Potter fandom. Um, but it was jarring and it hit me on the wrong day. And I, so I don't know if Phoenix will ever, because, and then also because honestly, because of the, that kind of comp, that kind of tangle of events that took place and that person threatening to kill me, um, 
And that one person telling me that me taking down my fic, the fic that I worked on, that belonged to me, was like me going into his house. And yeah, him. His house, Brad. Not really, but Brad. And taking a book off his bookshelf and taking it home with me. Different than the dude that threatened to kill me, but... So every time someone brings up Phoenix, even in an innocent way, because they can't remember where they read it or what it is, but they they remember this one scene, which is, you know, common with fan fiction writers, readers. Like, oh, hey, I remember this one scene. This is what happened, and I don't know what it was in. Can you help me find it? Even that, which is no fault of the reader, unless they're being passive-aggressive about it, which we know happens, brings up all that other shit. And then I can't even look at it. Because as much as I love Harry Potter, as much as I really enjoy writing, I don't appreciate the attention that I get in Harry Potter at all. Always kill Brad, Jace. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> they're, they are weird. They're weird. They're entitled. Um, they are abusive. Um... Not all of them, but the most vocal ones. Uh, they have these proprietary ideas about the writers. And you know, this is especially true in Harry Hermione Shippers. The Harmony Ship is very small. Um, and they are very territorial about the writers who write Harry and Hermione. And when you stray from that, they get really ugly and aggressive. Not all of them. But the ones that stand out do. And it's awful. Of course, it was a Stargate reader that threatened to... Well, I won't say. But the first time I ever got a, a death threat was from a Stargate reader. And it was over ties that bind. And I actually had to think that was more about Xanthi than it was me. Because at the time, Xanthi had been basically run out of the Stargate fandom for writing a BDSM world. Um, uh, the, the General and Dr. Shepard? I think it was that one in particular. Um, or it might have been Coming Home, the the prequel to General and Dr. Shepard. Anyway, she had been run out of the Harry Potter fandom, the Stargate fandom, for riding this BDSM world. And I'd emailed her and asked her um, how she felt about me using the concept for Ties That Buy. And she warned me that I might get some flack, that I might get some abusive comments, and people might lose their shit on me. I said, okay. Can't be any worse than the Sentinel. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so I posted the first part of Ties That Bind. And I want to say within 24 hours, I got a death threat. I got other threats too. Like I deserve to be et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, it was awful. It was awful. It was, I mean, it was more than one person. Um, people were very upset that I was, quote, wasting my time, which we've all heard before, um, doing this particular story. And I was advocating for domestic violence and just, you know, I was a misogynist. I mean, it, <laughs> I was, uh, so someone accused me of misandry. I mean, <laughs> look, I love dudes. I especially love cock. I'm not a mis. How you, what is a misandrist? <laughs> what would that be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not a misogynist either. 
and fuck you very much for. But she is a misanthrope, so don't get it mixed <laughs> up. Right? I totally own that one. But yeah, I mean, people got really bent. And I think that there was a lot of hostility over Xanthi's um, uh, material and also her exit from Stargate. And the people who wrote the BDSM AUs after her got a lot of that cast-off resentment. And I'm not blaming her at all. Um, what I'm saying is, is that there was already this... They, the waters had already been chummed, basically. And me and us, uh, several other writers, we were just like, what got left? And um, people were ugly. To this day, if, if I posted a new part of Ties That Bind tomorrow, I would get a lot of positive comments, but I would also get some ugly-ass comments as well. People who are still outrageously livid over the idea of it. People get very hostile about they get in their head that certain things are not allowed. Um, you know, and it and people's and it it it's one of the reasons why I post um completed works is because at least that way if people are gonna ruin it for me, the story's done. So this is a public service, y'all. I mean <laughs> it really is. <laughs> because you don't you don't want me to be forty K into a hundred K work someone's put me off of and I'm never gonna touch it again. Right? Um, that could totally happen to me too. Oh, I have a question because it kind of popped into my brain. So, do you think "suck my dick from behind" is like kind of logistically teabagging? I mean, I think it's going to happen. I, I don't see how. <laughs> I don't see how it could not. You should see me just now. I have my hands in the air, phrasing it like I can see. Can you see it? Picture this. Can you see it? But yeah, I mean, you know, all always, no matter what I post, when I post on my my birthday, when I post on my my fucking birthday, one hundred and twenty two k of Harry Potter fic, might be some version of felching, but not snowballing. Um, there will be a collection of Harry Potter readers that will be absolutely motherfucking furious because it's not Harry Hermione. Yeah, Harry Potter. And they'll tell fandom. me about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are there are some fandoms, and, and I've noticed there's been a real resurgence of um, homophobia amongst Harry Potter readers. Um, mm, yeah, lately, uh, it's it's it, because of my ill-advised foray into reading Harry Potter work again. Um, as most of you know, if you're going to read Harry Potter, there's a solid chance you're probably going to eventually wind up on fanfiction.net. I could pretty much avoid fanfiction.net for almost any other fandom. It is hard to avoid the pit for HP works. And honestly, they read better on the mobile app. Okay. Um, so, But the, it's called the pit for a reason. <laughs> but, yeah. And here's the thing. The mobile app, I am not, it is occasionally, I do go and look at someone's comments. Like, how are people receiving this? I hope nobody's been, and a lot of times it's like concern. Like, I hope nobody's been mean to the author, or I hope the author's moderating or whatever. But when it comes to the fanfiction.net app, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but it's like one of the first things you see is the most recent comments. You load up that first page, the info page on the story. It's like the information, and here's the most recent comments. So, oh, I, I, that's I, ugly. 
yeah, it's it's, and then you can move on to the first chapter or whatever, right? But mo most recent comments you see before you see story content on the fanfiction.net app. Um, so because of that, I started getting exposed to a lot of abusive comments um, in, of all things, Harry Draco stories. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And it was, it was, um, it was coming from a, some sort of concerted effort on Reddit, actually, to to go out and publicly shame these authors for writing Harry Draco stories. And it was um, like, how dare you? Draco would never, you know, Harry would never be with Draco and da 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 da. It was just really, really, really ugly. And they would leave these awful comments and then take the author's name and the information about the story and the comment they left. And then they would go put it up in this community on Reddit. And this, there was like, I saw this repeatedly. Like I'd click on a Harry Draco story and there would be a recent comment like this about some sort of abusive comment about what they've written and that they've been targeted, that they're being singled out on Reddit and other people will be coming for them. Um. <sighs> Now, no mention of who Harry should be with, but it was very much anti-Harry being with Draco. Um, and it, it had definitely had a flavor of homophobia about the way the tone of the, the tone of the comment comments. But I was like, and this comes back to the inability to moderate or remove comments on fanfiction.net and what a reader-centric cesspool fanfiction.net is. Um, but I was just really surprised. I was like, here we are, and people and people are com replying to the commenters saying, "What about don't like, don't read? Do you not understand? Why are you clicking on things that are clearly labeled a pairing you don't like? Are, are you are you have you suffered brain damage? I mean, it's like the comment sections were getting really wild, and we're talking old fic, right? Fic written in like I don't know, two thousand, like more than a decade ago, is getting." current abuse and people are like why are you clicking on something labeled harry draco when you know you don't like harry draco why are you doing this what does the matter with you there's like this movement in fandom where they want to gatekeep what gets written and what gets read and it's not just like i mean i it's really really prevalent in 911 but you but now you're you're seeing it in harry potter and there was always this element of it that people are like, oh, how dare you do this? How dare you do that? How dare you do this? Um, I really wish you would write this instead because I don't want to read this. Like, the very first comment I ever got on Ties That Bind was, well, I won't be reading this shit. It's like burning in my brain. I won't be reading this shit. Like, okay. See you, bye. As my grandma would say, don't let the door hit you or the good lord split you. It's my favorite thing to hear her say. I wish I could hear her say it right now. It'd make my fucking day. But she's been um, she's been dead since 1998. So it's I don't you I don't understand. I curate your own experience, but don't try to curate my experience or my life and stay out of my vagina, Republicans. Um, it just I don't understand. How you can exist in a situation where you think you have the right to tell another person how they can live, think, or entertain themselves as long as they're not breaking any legitimate laws. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's always going to be content that somebody has written 
that some that somebody's going to find to be problematic for one reason or another. And maybe, and the degree to which people agree on the legitimacy of that problem is somewhat irrelevant because for every person who thinks that there's a problem with the content, somebody else is going to think there's not a problem with the content. I might really not want to read, you know, I don't know, Harry Voldemort, but somebody else might really think that that's like perfectly legit. And I, it's not my job in fandom to gatekeep their experience. And to tell them what they can read or what they can write. That's not my business. Um, I'm not going to read it. But I defend your right to write it. And post it. But if I. But me click. (laughs) Yeah. But me clicking on it. And reading it. And then being unhappy. When I knew from the beginning. It wasn't something I wanted to read. What kind of. But the thing is. This is. That behavior is as old as fandom. People clicking on something. to They know they're not going to like just to see if it makes them unhappy and to see to see quote unquote just i don't know how bad it is it's gonna live up to my expectations i don't know what their agenda is i honestly don't um there someone said in the chat room that these people are destroying people's writing and their confidence and posting and they're breaking young writers this is not new this element has been in fandom since fandom began um the targeting and the method is new the whole Tumblr culture, the whole cancel culture, that is new. But the attacking of somebody who doesn't do what you want them to do in fandom is not new. Yeah, um, but the, the funny thing is these people think they're doing something new, but it is it is gatekeeping fandom. And it, it is as old as fandom. The, the attempt to gatekeep is as old as fandom. What I don't think that these people who are doing it now, and it does tend to, it tends, there's kind of, I think there's kind of like, tends to be two splits on it as it's like some often like an an older crowd trying to do it out of some sort of misplaced morality or a really younger crowd doing it out of some sort of misplaced morality but whatever but it's the new it's the new ones coming up in fandom who haven't really been in fandom before who are engaging in this behavior it's like and they're trying to do it on ao3 right and it's like do you not realize that AO3 came out of and exists because of these kind of fandom wars. You're not going to get anywhere with trying to censor content on AO3. Nobody is going to get anywhere with trying to censor content at AO3. And it's the sole reason it exists. Right. Um, for good or for bad. I mean, there was like, there's like, you know, there's like one piece of content I wish we could get censored on AO3. But this is one of those times where we accept the bad with the good. Um, and they have done a lot of good. More so, it still tends to be, in my opinion, more reader-centric than author-centric. But unlike fanfiction.net, AO3 did follow through on its promises to give authors tools to manage their experience on the platform, whereas fanfiction.net never did. So authors have the ability to, um, at least at this point, they can now kind of block people from commenting on their stories if they feel like that person has been harassing them. They can... Um, they can moderate comments. They can stop commenting altogether. Uh, so these are all improvements that they've put in to help authors improve their experience. And um, and I think that that's, so there's a lot good there. There's a lot good there in the, in the fan experience. You know, but, they, but every time, there always winds up being, you go a few years, things get quiet, and then there winds up being another resurgence of um, this whole, we need to clean up AO3 kind of thing, or we need to clean up fandom. And what cleanup fandom means is is different 
to whoever's trying to every every group that's trying to clean something up. Um, some fandoms don't want any sex. Some fandoms don't want any um, <clears throat> any certain types of tropes. Nine One One apparently doesn't want any. any well, they they're okay with character some character bashing. They just don't want any character bashing of the characters they don't want bashed. But oh, they can suck my whole dick from the back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's just never going to get old, okay? It's just not. It's not going to get old either. From the back. From the back. You can start with the most obvious target. Um, But, you know, someone said earlier about these people uh, breaking writers and ruining um, the writers. I want to say this. Um, I told you guys before that I believe writers are born. I was born a writer. I will die a writer. If I never wrote another word after today, I would still be a writer. These young writers who are being used, misused, and abused by fandom will turn from fandom. They will find other creative outlets. And if they are a writer, if they were born a writer and writers are born, they will, they will come back to their words. They just won't share their words with us. Now, there is a certain sort of creative person in fandom who writes for attention, um, good or bad in some cases. Uh, those people are likely to move on to other hobbies to get attention. But if you're a writer in your heart, that's ride or die. It doesn't go away. Yeah. And I really I think, firmly believe that. I do think some writers it will have rattled their confidence even if they mm-hmm. continue they may never post on online again or let anybody read their work again which is really tragic um i do know some writers got caught up in the um their experienced writers um at least one who got caught up in like the whole abuse kerfuffle bullying thing that was happening um who probably won't post their work again, but they are a seasoned, experienced writer from everything I can tell about them. But they certainly aren't going to interact with that fandom again. Um, but, the, uh, but the flip side is uh, some of the authors who are writing for attention, um, some just went and changed all their works to appease the, the masses. So, um, Which is the other option is Yield of the Gatekeepers. No, I agree. I agree. That's you exactly know, what happened. Um, yeah, I know because probably... they... Upsetting they want to keep getting to hear that. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> they wanted to keep getting attention, so and they wanted and they wanted to stay part of the in group dynamics that were going on. Um, you know, yeah, you, people would do what they. And but there, there is a level of self protection there as well, um, which you know you do you. Yeah, some people. Um, I mean, in another fandom, um, one of the one of the somebody on the server a while ago was telling us about how in order to get away from kind of the bullying mentality of people um online what they had done was people were posting all the stories that fit this is i i want to say it was an anime fandom but i'm not 100 percent on that so i'm not gonna say the fandom well i wouldn't say the fandom anyway but i think it's one of one of the anime fandoms is they were posting everything that fit this kind of trope or pairing or con i want to say it anything with sex in it any kind of adult content they were posting it as original fiction 
and leaving off tags and then basically advertising that their fic was written in their communities. So they're only telling, now this is somebody who's not writing for attention because they are now limiting their audience to only the people they tell about in their small communities on Discord or Tumblr or whatever. Here's yeah. where the fic is. Because they're hiding it from the fandom trolls. I said in the chat room that you, that you know how difficult it was to rebuild your confidence and joy in your works and fandom. Yeah, yeah, it can be really, really hard. But every single day that you worked on building yourself back up, you were still a writer. They didn't take that from you, not even for a minute. Yeah. Not one single minute did they take that from you because you were born with it. They don't take away you being a writer, but it can take away your joy for a while in it. And Oh, yeah. I mean... Just like but, somebody, and that is every moment that I've lost in where I've spent in angst or in upset or whatever in this year, rather than writing, is a moment that I resent. And I got to figure out a way to get over that and, and move on. Because um, they, they can't take away you being a writer, but they can sure fuck up a good year of it. Um, and that's and here's the but here's the thing. There's a thing that um, it came up recently. I'm having a conversation about something tangential to somebody with somebody um, about something going on in, in the in, in fandom was giving them just anxiety about participating in. And I was like, well, if if it's giving them any and this, if it's giving me this anxiety much anxiety already, I don't think I want to participate in it because I don't want it to affect my writing. And that right there, that is really the best approach I can suggest to anybody, is if anything going on in a fandom space is giving you anxiety that is affecting your writing, get out of that fandom space. Because if you are curating your experience as a writer to make yourself less accessible for abuse, such as comment moderation, blocking people, and backing out of siloed fandom spaces where people can't get at you, um, the the world could be raging. It could there could be a storm that is happening about the trope or the pairing that you write or whatever, and you won't know because you aren't participating in it. To some degree, to some degree, not this is not a hundred percent, but to some degree, fandom's ability to abuse you depends upon your your accessibility and your 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 participation in fandom. Mm -hmm. And you can be a fan fiction writer and have no participation in fandom at all. So I'm not, this is not a victim blaming thing where you're at fault for participating in fandom. No, I'm just saying that if you're in a toxic fandom and you continue to stay in toxic fandom spaces, you are giving the abusers access to you. And so don't do that. One of the things about, um, there's a talk about an author in fandom who was run off AO3, created their own site and got run off it because they followed her to continue to complain about what she was doing. Um, I want to believe. That she's still enjoying her work. And that she's still writing. And that the only people. Who are missing out. When it comes to her creativity. And the creative spark that she carries. Are her readers. Yeah. I want to believe that. Inevitably. Because... Go ahead. Say, inevitably when these kind of situations happen. Somebody inevitably says. One person, why does one person ruin it for the rest of us? You know, but the thing is, when you're being stalked and harassed online and abused and called out and stuff, eventually, no matter how much you try to stay away from that kind of thing, if people harass and cyber stalk you enough, um, 
one person can ruin it for everybody. Yes, that is a true statement. But you know what also also ruins it for everybody? Everybody who stands back and watches that one person do it. Yeah. And they never fucking say a word until it's over. And then a year from now, they'll be like, oh, you know, I really miss her work. That one person ruined it for all of us. Did they? Did they really? Because sometimes 10 shitty comments can disappear because of one really amazing one. And I speak from experience. I have some of the most beautiful comments on my site. And sometimes if I'm having a really bad day, I'll just go read them so that I'll feel better about what I'm what I'm writing or what I plan to write. Um, I, have, I have readers send me emails talking about, like, I had this beautiful email um, from this woman who, <laughs> she's fierce as fuck, her mom was a big fan of Ties That Bind. Her mom got sick was in the hospital and um, couldn't really read on her own. So her daughter read my whole website to her. My whole website. All of it. She read it to her. And I was like, oh my god, ties it by two. <laughs> she said she started with ties that bind. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> and it was beautiful. If I get over the fact that she repeatedly said the word cock to her mama <laughs> in the hospital. <laughs> it was beautiful. But if you stand back and let one asshole or two assholes or three assholes abuse and threaten and just get fucking ugly in someone's comment section and you don't say anything positive yourself i'm not asking you to attack a troll that gets you nowhere but if you see somebody being abused in their comments does it hurt you at all to do the exact opposite to tell them how much you enjoyed what they did and how i mean no it doesn't hurt anything except you might get targeted by a troll but if you don't say anything in a year from now that person is gone don't say that a few assholes ruined it for everybody because it's not that simple. It isn't that simple. Sometimes it's a thousand people sitting by and saying nothing. And I wish I was joking about that number. Um, well, no, because we can see it's, it's really obvious. There'll be like a, a fic on AO3 that has, I don't know, 30 or 40,000 hits and 15 comments. And most of them are ugly. Yeah. But I meant in terms of like the server or something where, you know, these kinds of things are coordinated from. and Maybe there's only like 10 people involved in the abuse campaign but there's like a thousand people who are watching it being planned and even if they don't agree because the thing is the people who do these kinds of things they always feel like there's some whatever reason it is that, that in their head they feel like they're justified the person who harassed and ran off minka from the ncis fandom felt like that they were justified in what they were doing and so i mean i think that we just one of the things that fandom has often had a hard line about is that we just don't tolerate abuse and bullying like that when it comes to like this kind of the harassment of authors kind of thing people talk about fandom being toxic spaces whether or not a fandom is a toxic space or not for any individual or any individual group whether it's toxic towards women or toxic towards um um 
uh, other, you know, different racial groups or it's toxic towards um, different ethnic groups. I, that depends on the space, you know, but fandom spaces and fan fiction are not the same thing. And Mm. justifying um, abusing authors because fandom is a toxic space is a reach. And that is the justification that is used. Oh, fandom is toxic, so we're going to abuse authors. Um, And be proud of it. Yeah, very proud. Be proud to be a bully. Wow, I bet your mom is so proud. So, you know, fandom can be rough. I loathe. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. One of the things I loathe is to be told somebody's doing something out of tough love. This is tough love. You know what tough love is? It's an excuse to be an abusive piece of shit. That's what tough love is, in my personal opinion. It doesn't come from a place of good intentions. At least not in practice. It's kind of like communism. It looks good on paper. Not so much in practice. Was that rude? (laughs) Well, no. I mean, because... There's a lot of things that sound good on paper, but when people start doing something with them, it's like, eh, I mean, show me, uh, sh- show me, show me some examples of communism that have worked out well. None. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of, yeah, I mean, because it doesn't, it doesn't work out well and neither does tough love. Um, it is like nearly all the time it becomes toxic and abusive. And so does so-called constructive criticism and fandom, which honestly I've said it before, and I'll say it again, doesn't fucking exist. There is nothing constructive about criticism. Today, I did something silly. Something stupid silly. That I'm not going to tell you what it was, because it was that stupid silly. Right? But we did get a new sink. Faucet. We got a new faucet. It's related. Anyways, I did something stupid silly. And my husband was like, dude, really? And I put my hand up, I said, I am not accepting criticism at this time. You can criticize me tomorrow. <laughs> I won't be taking it then either. Because <laughs> it was really dumb. But my new faucet's cute. <laughs> oh, but pro tip. If your little nozzle gets loose and you're trying to screw it back on, like you're trying to fix it, turn the water off. <laughs> It's oh, come on to now. Turn the water off. Come on now, Kara Marie. Come on. I told you it was stupid. <laughs> There's water everywhere. There could still be water on the ceiling. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not taking criticism at this time. I hate to say this, but you brought that bath on yourself. <laughs> and on the stove, and on the sink, and on the floor, and on the refrigerator. <laughs> But regardless, just turn the water off. <laughs> it's just a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Silver lining, Arlena. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> but yeah, I mean, there are always going to be circumstances and situations where somebody sees an opportunity to abuse you, then does it. And they do view it as an opportunity. And it's awful, and it's ugly, and it's the human condition. Yeah. Here's the thing. You can limit how much access these people have to you. 
It requires a heavy use of things like blocking and banning and limiting what communities you're in. But you can um, limit how much access these people have to you. I think it is a... If, depending upon, you have to... Co- you have to consider, okay, if, if you're, if depending on the fandom you're in and, and the level of toxicity, when you're giving people access to yourself, is how much access do they have? Is, is it, can they just reach you through your comment section and you can now block them on AO3? Um, or do you have a Twitter handle posted and they can call you out directly on Twitter where you're getting tagged constantly? Um, you know, I depending upon where you are in your fandom journey, I mean, make careful decisions about do you want to share your Twitter Twitter handle or your Tumblr account with people in fandom spaces or posting it on your AO3 profile because people tend to put all their socials up um all mine are up <laughs> I know yours are but um cuz I didn't know any better <laughs> it's true <laughs> But I mean, for the most part, at this point, a lot of people coming after you are going to are sort of like bringing a knife to a gunfight kind of thing. <laughs> it's probably probably ill advised, but that's why I say you got to consider where you are in your fandom journey. How are you going to feel if you get called out and targeted? We you know that kind of thing. Um, I don't have Tumblr, so somebody calling me out on Tumblr, you know, somebody attempted to. And there is somebody on Tumblr with my name, that poor person. Oops. I don't think oh. that they, I don't think they got called out, but there is some, and there, there actually, I believe there is another fandom author named Jilly James too. So, um, you know, but the, the, the people's ability to access me is pretty much limited to my contact form on my website um, or my comment section, but that's all moderated, right? And I don't have to reply or engage and I can block their IP address if they get shirty with me. So, bring out that ban hammer. Yeah, it it can still be upsetting, but people's ability to access me is diminished. Um, I have two fandom specific spaces I'm still in. Um, I'm planning on getting out of all fandom specific spaces in the very near future, um, just because I don't find they make me happy. Often I go in, wind up in a fandom specific space, a siloed space. Because I am looking for, usually it's it's because it's a, a a live canon and I'm looking for canon resources. But at this point, like when I joined 911 servers, um, there weren't, as far as I knew, which turned out to be not true, there weren't a lot of people on Crossroads watching 911. So I didn't know that I had a lot of access to people who knew 911 canon to ask questions of. Um, but turns out there actually were a lot of people watching 911, but I just nobody talked about it. So, but that was season we got, one. We got you covered now. <laughs> yeah. Now that now there's plenty of people I can ask so questions of. I don't, I don't need to stay in a fandom specific space. Um, so I was, you know, I'll, I'll, one of them I was pretty much staying in just some thirst traps. I'll just be honest about it, okay? It for, well, you totally, know. Totally for the pictures, but, you know, we got a couple people, you know, Ty especially, who keeps us covered in, in images on the server, so. Um, we got that all locked down, too, now. But sometimes, I, you know, you wind up in a fan-specific space because it is, um... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that was a great conversation that just took place. <laughs> 
<laughs> in the chat room, someone was talking about their stove not lighting properly. Um, it's a gas stove. And someone was commenting to Jilly, but it fit in with the conversation. <laughs> she said it no longer sparks joy. And the person with the stove says it does not. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> that was great, you guys. That was really funny. I That's hysterical. Um, but obviously, you know, her stove is not sparking joy. <laughs> right? It's not sparking anything. <laughs> but sometimes you got to get out of you. got to divest yourself from these spaces that are making you unhappy. Because... Um, for, for good or for bad, you, when the, the purpose they serve in my life, even at this point, um, does not negate the misery that they cause. Does not It, it doesn't offset the misery that they cause, rather. Um, but there is also that element. I'm going to confess it. Because if you know my Reddit habits at all, you already know this about me. Sometimes there's something awful entertaining about watching somebody else's train wreck. Not your own <laughs> but somebody else's and we all know this because that's why shows like Jerry Springer and Dr. Phil existed. Right? I mean your main fandom probably is just no mother-in-law. I mean we know. We know. <laughs> <laughs> At least I don't write in it. I don't have a way to write in it. Not that I would. I mean because my mother-in-law was apparently a saint. But um I, uh, apparently Lady Holders is, am I an asshole? Which, you know, I think that's a great fandom for you. <laughs> am I the asshole is, it pops up, I, I'm subbed to that Reddit, and so it does pop up on my feed. It's not like a high priority one for me, but sometimes I will go into the am I the asshole, and it's like, there is somebody who has posted their, their query, and the next thing you know, there's like 30,000 responses to it, and you're like... Do I even want to dig in on whatever question this person asked that is garnering like, 30,000 yep. responses? <laughs> yes, I do. Click. <laughs> oh, it's I awful. Not, it's I awful, but of... I do really enjoy subreddits like that, and I shouldn't. I should be ashamed of myself, but I'm not. I had not heard of Petty Revenge, Dark. I'm going to have to find Petty Revenge. I need a, because... I need a link. Yeah, that sounds like right up my alley. Now. But there, there is an element of that in that one particular server, train wreck syndrome, because it's like you see them doing fucked up things, and you know they're doing fucked up things, and you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna screenshot that. I might need it later because it, <laughs> there's like <laughs> you need receipts. <laughs> I love one of my favorite screenshots lately. Actually, came from Tumblr though. I'm not going to call out the screenshot or who did it or what specifically was said, but y'all, y'all, 911, y'all, you need to read your fucking history. You need to read your fucking history because Normandy, <laughs> you need to oh, read your history. God. You need to God. read your history. Oh my fucking God. I have what to is admit, wrong with you? Right? I have to admit that on the Am I the Asshole threads, my favorite are always the Bridezillas. Am I the asshole for, you know, wanting my bridesmaids to all be a size six or smaller or some dumb shit yes, like that? It's you like, are yes, an asshole. yes, you are. I don't, <laughs> yes, you I don't are even, an asshole. I don't even need to read the explanation. You're the asshole. 
Am I the asshole? 100% the asshole. Am I the So, like, what? I remember there was Mike and Am I the asshole? Like, one lady. I, I, it, I'm trying to, she, she had to delay her, her wedding because of the panorama. And in the meantime, her brother got engaged and his wedding was now before hers. And she's furious about it because they're going to get married like two or three months apart. And she's like, am I the asshole for being mad that, that my brother is not putting his wedding off to be after mine? Are you the asshole for being mad that there was a plague? Uh, yes, you are the, you are, we're all upset about it, but you know, a lot of weddings got during, delayed during the plague. So just move on. I have, one of my cousin's best friends got married and, um, she found out her mother-in-law was going to wear white to her wedding. She didn't say anything to her mother-in-law, but when she sent out wedding invitations, she declared her event a black and white wedding and asked that men wear black and the women wear white. And she wore a white wedding, a white wedding dress with red accents to stand out. She had her dress altered to have a red belt and um, like a, a red underskirt. And so she looked like a fucking cake top. She was just adorable. She was fucking adorable. Um, and... It ruined her mother's law's life. <laughs> so, so it was great. I don't understand mothers who wear white or who wear wedding dresses to their son's weddings. I don't know what's wrong with you. And I don't mean this lightly. For those of you who know me, know this already. But you need Jesus. <laughs> you, need, you need a lot of Jesus. Miss Kay, I have read that, read it before. I have, I, and I thought that was, I thought it was great the way, have you read that one? It's great the way she handled that. She um, found out her mother-in-law was going to wear um, basically a white wedding dress to her wedding. And so she changed her dress to blush pink and had all the bridesmaids wear white. It's a very good idea. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's original too. It's, it's unique. So I, I'll bet you her wedding was beautiful. And apparently it ruined her mother-in-law's day because her mother-in-law didn't feel special or some such shit. And so she wants to know if she's an asshole for that. I'm like, I'd be like, hell no. Not, not only not, are you not an asshole, but you are actually the fucking queen right now. Right? You're not an <laughs> asshole, but you crown. are. That, that is masterclass petty right there. No, I'm just kidding. It actually was a way for her salvaging her wedding and letting her remain center yeah, stage I mean, as honestly, the bride, which she should be. Why would the mother of the groom want to stand out and be special on another woman's wedding day. What literally the fuck is wrong with you? I, seriously. There's a, there's a whole Bridezilla's Reddit. I don't know if I... That could wind up being a huge time suck for me. I don't know if I should click on that. <laughs> you shouldn't um, click on that. You, you'll never come back. I, oh, I, I, <laughs> Julie has a new fandom. We've not heard from her in a week. <coughs> um... But yeah, the ones I'm, it, hey, the ones can I, you go in there and, 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 and take her iPad from her? Because she's been on the Bridezilla Reddit for a week now. Yeah, she can't have any more Reddit. I, it's time for Nano. Right. I have, um, I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's in my brain. But when it comes to the Bridezillas on the I'm a, Am I the Asshole, they usually are. So I'm like, because a lot of times people are posting Am I the Asshole and they're not, you know? It's like they're just wanting some validation that they're not being a complete twerp. But when it's ever it's a bride situation, I swear almost like 90% of the time they're being completely unreasonable. Am I the asshole for expecting my, you know, people who, you know, 
Like you see dumb shit like people who have like um they don't they don't that they have it. tears. They have tears for their wedding dinner. So like if you contribute a gift that is worth two hundred fifty dollars or more, yeah. you can have the chick you can have the yeah. chicken. You know, but and, and they have like different tiers and if you get if you if you contribute five thousand dollars or more, you get a special cup and you can have the steak and lobster and it's like are you am I the asshole for doing this? Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you for are. For starters, who? What about for people who give you less than two hundred fifty dollars? What are they eating? <laughs> because if the there chicken was that, is there was that bucks, letter to Dear Prudence about the bride who insisted that she would only accept RSVPs if they came with a check. Yeah, girl, sit down and be humble. <laughs> and there was there was one I don't. Remember if this was on "I'm the Asshole" or not, but it was on something about bridesmaids. Somebody, it was a bride canceled her wedding, and they had gotten some other people were paying for the wedding. But they had canceled it with plenty of advance notice. So there's like thirty thousand dollars. It's like sitting, I guess, in some pool. It wasn't really explained how this, where this thirty thousand dollars, the money came from family. That was for sure, and it was for the wedding. That part was really clear, but it wasn't really clear in the part of the, as part of the cancellation of the wedding. Um, like how much were they getting back or whatever. But what they said was that even though they were canceling the wedding, they were going to take that money and go on their honeymoon anyway. And that they would get married eventually someday and that they really knew everybody would support them and love them in in this decision. And and there's like all these comments from like, especially like the uncle, I guess, who'd put like half the money in and said, oh, hell no, you better put that money back in my bank account. Like, I want it back tomorrow. Why are you putting this? Why Why are you avoiding our phone calls? I want this money back right now. Um, and, like, they had to have this out on social media because she was avoiding everybody. Holy shit. But, she, yeah, she wanted to cancel the wedding and take all the money her family had pay, used to pay for the wedding and take that money and go on a quote-unquote honeymoon with it. One of the best things I ever read, and I, I it's probably findable on the internet, was this woman... She gets married, she goes on her honeymoon, and her mother-in-law shows up to spend the honeymoon with them in Ew. Hawaii. Or some tropical location. I think it was Hawaii. Was it Hawaii not? Um, no? Oh, you're just saying no, that it's gross? It's, it's a total no, it's gross. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Okay, so she's basically live tweeting this on the site. Not tweeting, but you know what I mean. Um, she was... Uh, Talking about it, and she basically, once she realizes that her new husband isn't going to tell his mother to take her ass home, she changes hotels and proceeds on a, to, to, to get an annulment. That isn't the end of the story. She proceeds to have the best fucking time possible in this tropical location. And then a year later, follows it up by letting everybody know that she found a new man and he's gorgeous and he's perfect and he's beautiful um he's basically um a chris hemsworth clone <laughs> she's living her best life in europe <laughs> with this new man it was like girl wow she came on their honeymoon that is what always freaks me out is when the spouse defends their parent who's behaving really inappropriately that is a red flag get out now don't 
don't complete the wedding, you know, this is the do not, even if you go through the ceremony, do not sign that, do not sign the license, you know, because right. ceremony, ceremony is just it's that separate. It's ceremonial. It's when you sign the paper. Sometimes you just have to say face. You can say I do in front of the minister or whatever, and then do not sign the license. <laughs> just like okay, I made a mistake. I do not. I changed my mind. But there was another one. It fell out of my head when we were talking. Oh, it was either a Dear Prudence or it was one of those uh, Agony Aunt columns. This woman comes home and she knew her husband was a mama's boy. She came home and found her husband, her grown ass man, in the same bathtub with his mother. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like... <gasps> Hers, you go, you go to the corner right now. What's wrong with you? I, just, I, just, I, I don't know if it's true, but oh my god, if it's true, can you imagine coming home to that? I had, I had read something years ago about a woman who found out after she was married to a man that he, his mother still gave him baths, bathed him, and that she had said that it had to stop. And um, so this is completely different, completely separate people. So obviously it is something that still occurs. I read on one of the subreddits, I'm not sure which one, where day of the wedding, someone was looking, it might have been the best man or the the maid of honor, was looking for the groom, couldn't find him. Ends up finding him in a room with his parents. And his mother is breastfeeding him. This is a grown man getting married. And she's breastfeeding him. And the father says, don't tell anyone he does this when he gets nervous. <laughs> now, this person told everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. Even if I told no one else, I would go tell the bride, dude, your ex <laughs> is breastfeeding from his mom right now. Because right what now. the actual fuck. Look. Breastfeed your child as long as you want to. Emphasis on child. There comes a point. When it's not appropriate anymore. My grandma said that point. Was when they got teeth. <laughs> I actually. She cut them off. <laughs> so it's like, it, actually, nope. it actually came up. <laughs> I was watching this video. It was like this reaction. To, I don't know why it popped up in my feed, but it was some kind of reaction to weird stuff in Facebook groups for mothers or something like that. And it was like a bunch of women, like there were multiples of like women who were like in really upset about being forced to stop breastfeeding their kids. Like once they were old enough to go to first grade and stuff like that. Um, and there was one, one woman where she was just really, really upset because her, her child who was like four, who was old enough to tell her this, he was like four or five years old, when he would come home from preschool was not wanting to breastfeed and she was, he was not hungry and he was telling her he didn't want it and she was getting upset and because he would, he would, he so, basically the way that it read like he was agreeing reluctantly to breastfeed to calm her down. And then how does she stop him from growing up so quickly? It's like, and people are replying like, if he is old enough to tell you with words that he doesn't want to breastfeed, it's time to stop. 
100% time to stop. She, she were, at that point, she is actively violating his body autonomy. Yes. It is one thing to feed your child. It is another to use your child as an emotional support animal. And I would say that's not even sexual. That is just pure using her child as an emotional crutch. It's just, it's some fucking. I also read on Just a Mother in Law about a woman walking in and finding her mother in law breastfeeding her child, except there was no milk. She was simulating breastfeeding her child. Basically, she was, she took a hungry child and put it on her tit, and which could cause nipple rejection. Um, the baby isn't actually getting fed. Like, it'd be lulled into sleep and not eat. And it's very important for little babies to eat regularly. Um, but also, I own some tits. And as, you know, my gender does when they're born with them, I, I have some tits. So here's the thing. I've never breastfed. But what I do know about breastfeeding is this. Um, it causes the womb to contract. Um, it stimulates uh, hormones in a woman who was pregnant as she as she's recovering. But if you are not pregnant and have not been pregnant, the only stimulation you're going to get off somebody sucking your tit is sexual. Period. I, yeah, that is some weird ass behavior. I, I honestly mean, would have lost my shit. The woman would have gone to jail. I'm I'm sorry, she would have gone to jail. I um yeah, I mean it it is a Oh, Jace, I'm so sorry. Sorry for your tits. I'm sure he didn't mean it. <laughs> They, I'm sure they did not mean to bite you. <laughs> <laughs> but there are people who I think that there's a real like mental disturbance going on there. But it doesn't mm-hmm. change the fact that it's one of the. I actually have that as a plot point for the reason why um, Shannon took off with Christopher when he's like two years old in that in that one grim fusion that I had plotted. Well, the reason why mm-hmm. she took off was because she caught Helena trying to breastfeed Christopher. Um, <sighs> I would kick her ass. But I tried to be violent, but I would have whooped her ass. She didn't show us violence. But I mean, I feel like that Helena's dysfunction and like in my head, the way she is attached to Christopher as her kid. Um Mm -hmm. I feel like it's something I could see her trying to do. And Oh, absolutely. And when uh Shannon discovered it, she's like, Oh, that's it, I'm taking my kid and I'm taking off. She's either the kind who would try to breastfeed two and take over. Or the kind that would vehemently oppose breastfeeding because it interfered with her ability to bond with the baby. Yeah. Because her bond is more important than the parent's bond. In her mind. Yeah, I firmly believe that. Now, breastfeeding between two consenting adults is a kink. Yes, absolutely. It happens. That's perfectly okay. Honestly, it's okay. For two consenting adults to engage in breast play, including up into and including breastfeeding, and up into and including actual breastfeeding, that is perfectly okay as long as it's consensual. But forcing your four-year-old who tells you no to breastfeed is disgusting. Yeah, and you That's need just... a fucking therapist. Yeah, I did hint at it in Darkly Little. I've hinted at it once or twice. Um, I it's not a kink I personally find arousing but i acknowledge it that it's a kink it's a perfectly reasonable kink honestly i've rarely met a straight man who didn't want to latch (laughs) and it could be because i've got big tits but (laughs) they all want to 
you ever watch that episode of Big Bang Theory where the one dude had a favorite tit? And he always goes to the left? Or was it always to the right? Either way, it's it's very common among straight men to, to want to... Hang on. Right? <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> so, it doesn't surprise me as a kink. But it's got to be consensual, y'all. It's got... I mean, all kink should be consensual. If it's not consensual, it's a fucking crime. Just put it out there. But yeah, Reddit would be my secondary fandom <laughs> just as awful as it is but i think it pulls down to the human condition which is awful it's awful and throughout history there have been people who find genuine entertainment in the misery of others <laughs> i know i know it's awful <laughs> But Jerry Springer wouldn't have been on the, on the TV for a decade if it wasn't true. Right? But there is that element in fandom, and it takes a different tone, because it's not just about... It's about causing misery, and causing stress, and causing fear, and uh, not just seeing the misery in somebody else's situation. It's about creating this toxic environment. And sometimes I feel like they do it for attention, to get their share of attention. Yeah. I mean, it could be. I We come back to, you know, one of the one, I think one of the first conversations we ever had on a podcast, not the first, but one of the first, was people's main contribution in fandom is to be critical um that that's what they that's what they have to give and when you reject their criticism you're rejecting their contribution in fandom um and i think it's that same mentality it's like this is what i have to give and this is my this is my i i'm not an author or whatever the thing is some of these people are authors which is what just kills me right it's like you're abusing you know how hard this is and you're you're abusing other authors so okay well, you know um, why they do it with another author it's about jealousy it's about this person getting more views or more comments because they're writing a popular pairing versus a non-popular pairing um i've gotten accused in the past by other harmony writers of writing harry and draco to get the attention that i don't get from harmony but it's not even accurate I get a lot of comments and attention from Harmony readers. I don't need to solicit it from other fandoms. If that was my goal. If it was my goal to get fawned over every day, all I would post would be Harmony. I mean, literally. Yeah. I mean, people know, you can tell, every author who's written more than, has written a, a bit, they know where they're going to get the most attention from. And if all they were writing for is attention, they could, if if that's what they really wanted, they could just stay in that lane. I'm not saying when people stay in one lane, they're just doing it for attention. But I'm saying if you've written for a minute and you've written a variety of pairings, you know which one's going to get you the most attention. You do. Mm -hmm. Now, I've been accused of writing particular pairings because they were popular to get attention. But at this point, I don't, I never did it, but I don't have to do it i didn't pick buck and eddie as my pairing because they were popular 
I picked them as my pairing because Jilly wrote it. <laughs> and that's the God's honest truth. Because I never watched the show. I'd only read Jilly's work. So, of course, she kind of... I mean, that's just what it was. Because I, that was my first exposure. Um, if my first exposure had been Bobby and Athena, I'd probably be writing Bobby and Athena today. And I do think about writing them. But it was, that, that wasn't my first exposure. Um... I didn't start out writing McShep and Stargate, but I had a moment, as one does when one reads Astolot. Oh, yeah. She can give you a moment. And I fell in love. <laughs> and then I was I was done for. Because I really, I was kind of exploring ships, um, um, but I really didn't have a, an OTP until Astolot ruined my life. I'm not mad. But I don't pick my pairings because of popularity. Yeah, I if mean, if I did, I wouldn't write Harmony because it's like what number fifteen ship in the in the fandom. I mean, I think it's coming up. Um, it has risen, I think, in popularity in the last, even in the last year. It has there have been a lot more Harmony works, but there've been a lot more Harmony, I mean, not Harmony, um, Hermione centric works. Um, Hermione Draco has been on the rise hugely in the number of stories as well so it's not just and there's a lot more Hermione Draco than there is Hermione Harry mm -hmm. I mean for me it's like that tells me the degree to which fandom did not like that pairing for a long time that there's a significantly more Hermione Draco than there is Hermione Harry is to me it's bizarre I, I'm like it does not compute well, I, I think the Hermione Draco comes from the crush Emma Watson famously admitted oh, to having yeah, a crush yeah, right. on Tom Felton um, during the production of the early movie. She had a huge crush on him, and she talked about it in a press interview. And I think that the fans latched onto that. Mm. I mean, that is not a reason that I would write a pairing, but um, I mean, that's adorable that the two actors it's also really cute that like there were some pictures of them on instagram like in the last year or so where he was teaching her to um skateboard oh i mean that's cute <laughs> it's just really adorable it is adorable <laughs> but i just i mean for me it's just kind of um i but i think I that's where it came from honestly uh, yeah it probably is where it comes from it just to me at the time i was like when i when i saw that it was quite a quite a bit more popular i was like Really? Oh. I mean, okay. it's more reasonable to me, obviously, because I've I've written them as a triad. But I, the only reason that Snary is exists is because Alan Rittman was cast in the part, and you will well, never convince me otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the casting, I think, kind of. I mean, the casting did dramatically influence people's opinions, and and. Not just on, because whether, even for people who aren't big fans of the movies, the casting images, the pictures of the cast are kind of ubiquitous. They're out there. They're like mm -hmm. in fan, your, your face. So even people who are diehard book canon, um, they often still have like fan art with the actors. Not everybody, but there are even people who are diehard movie canon who change up the casting. But for the most part, people are very on board with... Um, who who's cast and in some cases casting you know worked against the characters some cases casting worked for the characters a lot i would say um, that the harry voldemort pairing probably appeared around the time 
the Chamber of Secrets movie came out. Ew. Because they had that hot young actor playing the young Tom Riddle. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that is kind of the way some people's brains work. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, for me, but even when you look outside of romantic pairings, there are some characters that I perceive differently because of who they cast. I do, I do perceive Snape differently, not as, not as a, not as a, from a romantic sense, but I do perceive him differently as a character because of Alan Rickman's casting Mm -hmm. and his portrayal of the character in the movies. Just like I perceive McGonagall differently because of, um, oh my God. Maggie. Maggie, thank you. Um, I don't know why I blanked on her name. Uh, Maggie Smith. Uh, I actually didn't like McGonagall very much in the books. So when the movie started coming out, and like one of my favorite actresses is cast as McGonagall, it did influence me, tend me towards me feeling po- more positively about the character than I would have mm-hmm. otherwise. Um, it's honestly hard to like any of the adults in the books as an adult reader because it's clear that they all suck. Yeah, oh, <laughs> and they're yeah, terrible absolutely. at their jobs because these children are fighting a war. <laughs> that's the genre, right? That's just how that works. And so it's like it's not written for adults. So when you bring an adult understanding into it, you you just think to yourself, "You are the worst fucking teacher on the planet. Where is the PTA?" Yeah, but I mean, the f- thing is, I mean, there there are better ways to handle the um kid is the hero of the movie kind of thing. I actually think Percy Jackson did a better job of handling. Um, it didn't make his mother outright. Oh, someone says in the chat room that the only good adult was Bill Weasley. I don't think he was necessarily a good adult. Because here he is living in his little cottage. His brother shows up without Harry and Hermione. Does he ask any questions? Where are Harry and Hermione? You're kind of thin. Why haven't you been eaten? Are Harry and Hermione eating? Where are Harry and Hermione and why aren't they eating? Yeah, oh, she basically sacrificed the characterization of every adult in the story on the altar of achieving her plot, which is bad secondary characterization. But the actors do influence how you want to see a character. Like, I, from reading the books to my little sister, not not the one who's almost my age, because I did not read the books to her. Um, but the, she, I think she was, I want to say she was eight at the time when I was reading the books to her. I did not like Dumbledore from the, after reading the first couple books. I didn't like him. You know, movie's not out yet. We don't know anything about it. Then the movies start coming out. I wanted to like Dumbledore because of Richard Harris. I liked his yeah. portrayal. It, it, he felt like that kind of benign sort of daughter and grandfather. And it, I, I really, and then they, and then we got Michael Gambon put put in the role, and I hated him. I mean, I was like, I'm back aboard the hate train. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean. The way an actor embodies a role does affect how you feel about a character. This cannot, it's very sometimes, and that is actually a good thing because an actor, an actor who embodies a character so well that you like, you're rooting for Imhotep, <laughs> right? That <laughs> should not be. And it's not because he's hot. It's because he embodied that role so well. I love I will... you, Rick and Evie, but... Back down. Let him win. Let him win. Just let him have Egypt. Just move on. Just move on. Um, He got betrayed. (laughs) She's not going to be good for him. So, you know, he needs this. He needs this boon, okay? But, I mean, but... but, 
I loved there I was lo- this. I did love Rick and Evie, but I liked Emma yeah. too, and I also liked what's his face. Um, um, Willow. I was actually put off by Maleficent in the theater when I saw the the actress who played Umbridge is playing one of the fairies. I went, oh, like, yes, <laughs> and I never bag. watched. Yes, I never watched those fucking movies. I never watched. I just seen pictures of her as Umbridge, and it was enough. Yeah, see, yeah, she, that was that, her. Yeah. yeah, she was the green one. I forget which one she was. Not the blue one, because the blue one sacrifices herself. No, I think she was. Spoiler, the, was she sorry. The pink, was she, but I hope she was the pink fairy. She couldn't possibly. I don't think she was the pink one. I think she was the green one. But either way, yeah, think, yeah it was the actress who played Umbridge. Yeah, and she was um, one of the fairies in Maleficent. Jace, I actually loved all the characters, including Jonathan in the Mummy, especially in the first movie. I. And I actually like even like Jonathan even better in the second movie. Um, it it was which movie is the one where he still that shit and puts it on the camel? Because <laughs> that's my favorite. Part. That's the first movie. He's, that's the first movie. Riding away with all that treasure in his in his sack. Yeah, the second movie is the one where he does the sharpshooting and he has the, he has the, the stick with the diamond at the end, the the, the spear of Osiris that he refuses mm-hmm. to give to the the dirigible pilot. He keeps finding ways to steal it back. Um, Artist Bay, yeah. the actor who played Artist Bay, is one sexy Ugh. motherfucker. I mean, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, that is this, the Mummy is one of those rare situations where I'm rooting for everybody. I'm like, why can't y'all just all get along? Oh, dead far. Yeah, we need. Yeah, we need. Fair? We don't need far? fair. Fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. fair. So we need. We need no villains here. We just everybody needs to get along and be one big happy family. Um, it can be Polly if you want. I don't care. Don't leave, Ard- <laughs> don't leave Ardeth Bay out. But it's just, it's not typical that you, 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 uh, you relate to everybody. And that speaks to how well the actors all inhabited those characters. That you were rooting for all of them, which is not Okay, what Ty saying she was the pink fairy. <laughs> they should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> they really should. <laughs> That probably was a dig. It probably was like a little, or maybe yeah. a nod, like a yeah. little bit of a nod. A little Easter egg. A little Easter egg. So, yeah. But yeah, I do think the actor um, embodying a role can definitely shape how how they are portrayed and um, in fandom. Yeah. And when an actor or actress and the way they embody a role has no impact on how you feel about a character... That is telling. It says the actor probably isn't doing a very good job. Mm, I agree. Um, um, but yeah, the, the actors they cast for Harry Potter um, are in their in a way they they were good choices because even the ones you hated, that still actually is a reaction. And I think the last thing you want is people not reacting and just kind of going. Eh. Right. I mean, for the most part, I know that fan some parts of fandom in the 911 fandom really hated Anna. But they didn't hate her because of anything that was happening on screen. They hated her because she was in the way of the ship that they wanted. Okay? But so setting aside all the hate, all the hate uh, would there have been any reaction to that character if it ha- if she hadn't been in the way? If she had been dating Ravi, would anybody have cared about her? I well, mean, because she wouldn't have had as much screen time if she'd been dating Ravi. <laughs> well, true. But, you know, assuming she had the same amount of screen time, um, she just was a she, she there was nothing there right it was it was she was completely forgettable 
I mean, she's beautiful, but there's a lot of pretty people in the world. She didn't inhabit, before she started dating Eddie, she didn't inhabit that character in any kind of way that made people kind of go, oh, wow, I really, I, I really remember. Right. Like, we remember, we all remember the lady in season one, no, season two, season two, who dosed everybody. We remember her. You know, she only had a few lines. She's talking about she wanted to free everybody's mind, that old lady. Who put, get, you know who LSD. said that for me in season two? The chick on the billboard. <laughs> I'm never getting over her. Chick on the... Oh, you see me do you now? see me now? <laughs> Just flash all of LA. <laughs> we Thank all you, see lady. you, ma'am. <laughs> so, some characters really inhabit Norman. Role. Yeah, yeah, Norman, Norman's wife, Norman. Um. I love I love little nods to Norman and is it Lola is that her name in stories I just think that it's, it's really cute when they when authors pull that along or they have um, Norman or Lola showing up in a story because I mean they really were a very memorable but both Norman and Lola were very memorable and and they really were very they had a lot of presence on screen for just appearing in one episode I mean Anna was in more than one episode and all I could say about her after two episodes was she was pretty and a little ableist you know i mean i know that i was supposed to sympathize with lola but i really sympathize with norman right (laughs) he just tried to get through his damn day and have his coffee (laughs) there's his wife (laughs) she's naked on a billboard (laughs) naked on a billboard (laughs) with two hot firefighters (laughs) this is this is not how my day was supposed to go (laughs) um did you see that this He week- thought everything was fine, right? He thought everything was just going the way it should be going. Meanwhile, his wife is having a mental breakdown. She's having a nervous breakdown. Complete with a gun and a bathrobe. Right. He, he has nothing. On right. a billboard. But it's reflect but also that whole that whole dichotomy between them that he he was so bemused by it and she was so upset. It sort of typified what she was saying. You don't see me. Look at how upset I am. How could you not know how upset I am? I he's like, I had no idea. Why are you up there? <laughs> because down. I'm upset. <laughs> um, I actually started reading a fic once where um, she accidentally discharged the weapon and shot Buck. But I never yeah. finished it. And now I can't find it. I never finished it. I started reading it as well. It was also one of those ones. I think it hit an angst point that was a lot for me right at that moment, and I intended to come back to it. And you know, then I got five hundred tabs open. I love it. Eddie pulled him over and helped him. I remember that. And then I lost the fic. So if you read that fic and you have the name, I would appreciate it. Yeah. Willow. Um. But yeah, the open your mind lady with the lizards and all the different reptiles and stuff. I mean, like she really sticks out in your mind. It's like if they brought her back, you'd be like, I remember her. She was the open She's your mind the one lady. That dosed the agent with it. Well, she does. She does the whole station with LSD. She had. She had Buck and Eddie freaking out over the teeny tiny little beauty queens. And it's just something I did too, but for an entirely separate reason. That actually, that's funny as fuck to me. I mean, it just. The thing is, there's nothing wrong with actually the audience hating a character. Because the thing I think that showrunners know is audiences will come back for a, char- a character they hate, just like they'll come back for a character they love. Sometimes more for a character yeah, they hate. Yeah, I mean, 
they'll come back to see what you're going to do with that character they hate. The, the, the spite-driven watching, show-watching, is a very real thing that happens. But did y'all notice... I mean, it? there was that episode of Law and Order... Not Law and Order. LA, LA Law, where that character that everybody hated fell down an elevator shaft. One of the most watched episodes of the entire fucking show. Even in reruns. I mean, and that's, you gotta milk it, right? You've, you got a character that everybody hates. You gotta luck. You gotta draw that out and build it up, and then throw him down an elevator shaft. I mean, <laughs> she literally the elevator doors open. She turned and walked into it. <laughs> like, <laughs> fucking Wally Coyote. <laughs> I don't. Does any of the stuff that ever happened one day? Does any of the stuff that ever happens with nine one one on Twitter ever like cross your Twitter feed? I don't go. I don't tweet. Okay. Don't tweet. Well, I, don't, I mean, I, don't, I have a Twitter, but I don't actually use it. I, I share from either, my website to it, but I don't tweet. I don't tweet. I don't. I don't do any of that. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going. Uh, I'm over. Well, although I think it was hysterical that when they had that little, that little thing they were going to do for a while, they were going to call them fleets. I was like, couldn't call them Mm-mm. twits, so they were going to call them fleets. Uh, I don't think so. Um, but anyway, so I'm on Twitter, and um, one of the things that's trending is that gay firefighter show as one word with a hashtag. And I was like, really? And it's had like 10,000 tweets or something. And I was like, and there's all these tweets from all these people, some of them like minor celebrities and stuff, who had seen like the hashtag about that gay firefighter show. And like, there's a gay firefighter show, really? And people are like, oh yeah, there's this show, 911. And then they start watching it. So one, somebody who I guess is like, I don't know, he's known by some sphere of people. I don't have any idea. This is like, I have been watching this show for hours. And so far I have, I have seen, I have seen this happen. And I've seen people in tsunamis. I've seen people blown up and I've seen this. And you're right. They're totally gay. <laughs> <laughs> they're gay for each other these two are totally Why are they gay pretending otherwise right so there's all these tweets like thousands of tweets of people who are just getting into the show they're back watching it and the general consensus and so there's thousands of people tweeting that gay firefighter show <laughs> it is not even lone star <laughs> right no and they're talking about 911 they're talking about bucket eddie that's hilarious um, and and that actually, even if they never go that direction with, because we've, we've we've talked about this, we think if they actually did go canon with Buck and Eddie getting together, that it probably, I think it'd be one of two things: either they would ruin it, or they would do it on the finale episode, and we would just have to assume that Buck and Eddie and Christopher had a happy life together. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, because that's something they would. I could actually very much see them doing is throwing it out there in the finale, of the last episode of the of the series, like entirely, like it's done. They're gonna get them together at the very end. Um, but, um, kind of like a why not me scenario. All right. Yeah. But there's a, um, I could definitely see that scenario happening. I think, I think there's actually a certain probability of that because of the sheer amount of attention that the chemistry the two of them has, has, has garnered. Um, and that actually is a good thing. It's like, even if they delay and they kind of, because to me, that's kind of taking the cop out way of handling it. It's like, okay, well, we know we've been kind of teasing it. And they, and the, one of the showrunners and one of the writers even admitted that they kind of have had several scenes where there's been something going on that kind of alludes to like um, somebody, somebody shipping it on the, like one of the secondary characters or something. And, um, and, uh, well, the one the one episode that sticks out for me is the one where they go see Santa Claus, and the little elf tells Buck yes. that he has a beautiful family, and Buck and, agrees. And the showrunner specifically mentioned that, and 
said that that elf was intended to be the voice of the audience. So that was written deliberately as a nod to fans. It's a sliding door because what if she said it to Eddie instead yeah. of Buck? Yeah. Well, what would be the outcome? I mean, and Eddie. Would it make him he, see something that's right in front of him? I mean, and Christopher and Buck look a lot alike, especially the younger Chris's. To me, the more they look alike. Um, they have very similar coloring with blonde hair, blue eyes kind of thing. Although I think that Gavin is actually officially listed as having green eyes, but they look. Some sides it's listed as blue, but they, you know, whatever. Um, His eyes could be shifting in the spectrum. They might actually be hazel. Yeah. Because mine do that. Um. So I can definitely see somebody saying to Eddie, looking at like like Buck and I mean uh, Chris and Buck together, saying you've got a beautiful family, and people inferring it. The fact that it hasn't happened in canon is honestly weird. People inferring that Chris is Buck's biological child. I would think that that would happen all the time. There's a there's a scene in Requiem. I told you I'm I'm writing the new part where Eddie and Buck have gone to pick up Christopher at school. And Anna Flores is part of the um, pickup line as a teacher. She's out there and she sees B in the back of the truck. Um, and um, she tells Eddie that you have a beautiful daughter. And they thank her and they get in the car and A turns to <laughs> Buck and says, I don't know why everybody thinks your overtly pasty child is mine. <laughs> and Buck says, your own child is overtly pasty. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a so scene there. early on in the series where Eddie's in a museum and he has B and he's feeding her because Chris and Buck are playing in the in an in exhibit and a woman comes up and tells him he has a beautiful daughter and he's like she's not mine she's really pasty. <laughs> Anyways, I, I just thought, I thought it was really funny. It's a little nod to the fact that Christopher does actually resemble Buck more than he does. <laughs> His own father in the show, or his mother. Let's just say or it. Or his mother. They they should have cast eyes. a blonde. They should yeah. have cast a blonde in the part. Yeah. I actually have it in my soulmate story that it it is it, it's it's a minor point, but it comes up that um um. I read part it, of this, you guys. It's banging, oh, banging. You're you. really gonna like it. But th that Helena has a a a significant attachment to one part of her attachment to Christopher. She believes that his coloring comes from her side of the family uh, and in this story there actually is a reason it's a, a an odd reason but there is a reason that christopher's coloring actually comes from buck even though buck is not in any way biologically related to him it will all make sense when you get there um but and that you know but helena is part of her her part of her attachment to christopher as her kid as she of all the children that have been born in the family he's the first one in her mind to have coloring from her side of the family so it was just a, it was a minor point to kind of help try to explain her bizarre fixation on christopher which is a it's really kind of a bizarre and a kind of ugly sort of form of that she would fixate on him for that reason but i could actually yeah but i could see it yeah oh absolutely absolutely she does clearly in canon want to parent eddie's child and it's, I will never like her character for how she was written trying to manipulate her son into moving back to Texas on the day he buried his wife. 
No, I mean, that I, was ugly. I, I can't get over it. It was disgusting. I, I just, it's, it just, it just burned into my brain. It's awful. It's awful behavior. You can't even let the man grieve. Because not only at that point is Eddie grieving for his wife, he's also grieving for the way their relationship ended. And also, there was a moment when he thought he was going to be a dad again. He was going to get another kid. So all that grief is kind of tumbling around in him. Meanwhile, his mom is auditioning for the part of the worst mother alive in the midst of his wife's funeral. It's just disgusting. Really disgusting. It was very badly written. Yeah, she also dismisses um, Isabel and Peppa as family during that same conversation. You need to move back to Texas with your family. Like, Peppa and Isabel didn't count. Which was... And and, and they, they did call her on it, though. So that was... Well, I think it was... Like someone said in the chat, is it was weird when Eddie said the only person not normal in his family was his father last season after what his mom did. What you believe to be normal is shaped by your experiences, your formative experiences growing up. His mother's behavior is normal to him. She does exactly what he expects of her, and that is normal. It's abnormal to you and me, but normal to her kids. And that's why therapy is so prevalent today. Because we were taught a lot of things as children to be normal that are not fucking normal. And a lot of times you don't even realize you're living in a circumstances that is really out of bounds until you're exposed to other people living in different circumstances and you realize what is happening in your home is not typical. If your father comes home every day and starts drinking, sits down at the table and eats, drinks most of his meal, pitches a fit because someone didn't vacuum the living room and then goes to bed and it happens every day from the time you were an infant till the day you hit freshman year of high school that is normal to you and you don't know any fucking different until you spend the night at somebody else's house and you recognize that their dad isn't getting drunk at dinner and yelling about the vacuum cleaner then you go to another friend's house and their dad isn't getting drunk and then you realize that what's happening in your home is dysfunctional as fuck that's just and sometimes what winds up being the problem is that is more the way we internalize feeling different or set apart or ashamed of what we thought was normal and how and also how to disengage from the whatever patterns we learn there um but sometimes people do wind up with an intense sense of like shame or embarrassment or something around something that they spent 15 years of their life or whatever thinking was the way everybody was and when then when they realize that not everybody's like that and that they might be hesitant to talk about it there can become this intense sense of shame and then secrecy attached to it um that can then wind up becoming like because i actually see i see this come up sometimes in discussions of like how can something that didn't bother you at the time become something you need therapy for later it's because if you think it's normal it's not until you have all these other feelings attached to it that it, it starts to become an issue. And then you have to internalize all of these, um, deal with how you've internalized all this shame about something that was completely outside of your control 
And the last thing you need is somebody judging you for the fact that you didn't react negatively to it while it was happening. Right. I didn't know it wasn't well, you normal. Didn't, you didn't complain. You yeah. didn't file a police report. You didn't tell anybody. Why didn't you tell somebody? Which is veil- which is dimly veiled. What's wrong with you? You see that come up a lot in discussions around sexual harassment in the workplace, where it doesn't come out for years or something like that, or even, or, or you know, especially like around the Me Too movement. It's like, well, did, did it not bother them at the time? Well, of course it bothered them at the time, but that's not exactly the point, now is it? It wasn't a time. Yeah, because when the fact saying, that is that that was a dominance and power crime. Happening over and over and over again. And when you have people in position who are in power and who are dominating a situation and a person, that power dynamic is a struggle. It's an immense struggle. Yeah. But also sometimes when you think something is normal, you don't really deal with how you feel. Like imagine that you move to Hollywood. And you spend, and you're trying to be a working actress or a model or something, and you spend 10, 15 years of your life being groped, just by pretty much anybody, right? And you think that this is normal for people to just be able to just grope you. You don't have a whole ton of, you, and you really do think this is normal. And then you get away from that, and you get into situations where you're told it's not okay for someone to touch you when you don't want them to, and that, you know, your job does not depend upon whether or not you put out, or whether or not you let somebody fondle you, or whatever like that. All of a sudden, all of those years have a different spin on them. All of those situations that you thought were normal, have a different look and it may not have bothered it just because it didn't bother you at the time doesn't mean that you don't have the right to be bothered about it now because then what you're going to experience is what i personally like to call a trauma avalanche it's just gonna pile on you one thing after another and a lot of your anger will be impotent yeah you'll and have gonna- no recourse no resources and no ability whatsoever to get any sort of justice for yourself right and there's going to be a lot of shame attached to the whole thing because you let somebody you didn't know enough to think that this was not a problem and then to top it all off is if you do talk about it and you do try to get it out there and you do try to stop it from happening to somebody else you got people online shaming you for not being upset about it at the time there was that thing with taylor swift back to taylor swift where a radio show host grabbed her ass and they were on camera and he did it in such a way that the camera didn't actually get a shot of him grabbing her ass up her skirt. And she didn't react on camera because she's a fucking professional. But she lost her shit afterward and sued him. But the thing is, is not, but what came out and what was questioned by some people was when it was discovered that she was wearing a thong under this short skirt. And not only had he grabbed ass, he grabbed a bare ass. And people questioned her about wearing this thong under her skirt. I can tell you, there was fucking business. I wear a thong when I, I want to wear a thong. That's, I mean, how was how her wearing a thong have anything to do with the fact that this grown man put his hand up her skirt and grabbed her ass? And the fact that she didn't react immediately. I mean, you can see, when you watch the video footage of that, you can see that moment where it happens. Because there's like this moment, like her eyes dilate a little bit. And she's clearly experiencing a moment where she is shocked, but trying to maintain. And she pushed through it. But it's clear what happened. I mean, once you know what was happening, it's clear when it happens. You, you see the exact moment he did it. 
It is very clear. And it is just like, you sorry, fucker. But they were worried about her thong. What? No. That girl could have been wearing no underwear her, under her damn skirt, and it still wouldn't have given him the right to grab her ass. None. Anyways. Anyways. But yeah, you can actually, there's a really interesting, um, is it, is it Plato's Cave? There's a story, there's an allegory about um, what what is normal for you. Um, I, I'm, I, I believe it's Plato's Cave. Um, where these people live in a cave their whole life. In complete darkness. And that's all they know. And that is their normal. And one day one of them leaves. And when he gets out into the world he can't see. Because he's lived his whole life in darkness. And eventually his eyes adjust. And he sees the world for what it is. He sees a giant world. Um, for what it is. And um, it's called the, the Allegory of the Cave. Or, or Plato's Cave. Um, and he goes back to the cave to tell his people that there's a whole world out there that they can see and they can go there, there's things to see out in the world and they don't believe him because their whole world is a cave and they live in darkness because that's their normal and it's a, it speaks to it's it's about knowledge and about you know broadening your perspective and broadening your mind and enlightenment but you only know what you see and your version of normal is skewed like you know, you look at people who um who are severe hoarders um and they don't they they function that way and that's their normal but when someone outside sees it they're like how the fuck do you live this way well they don't even notice it they don't see it as a problem that they have to hike through their living room because they've got newspapers ceiling to floor floor to ceiling because that's their normal I mean, you can get used to anything. Yeah. And there even comes a point where you won't even smell it. Nose blindness is a thing. You can just get used to it. And I think in fandom, there are people who see these big toxic situations in these siloed fandoms as normal. Yeah, this that's This is their true. normal fandom experience. And so they don't see anything wrong with it. I had someone message me a few months ago and tell me they had joined Crossroads, which is our Discord server that we're currently on, recording this podcast. Um, but they had to leave because they felt very restricted by our moderation policies and by the fact that we had moder moderators on 24-7. There's rarely a day that goes by on Crossroads and even an hour, uh, Crossroads an hour goes by where there isn't at least one mod or admin on. Right? And it's they weird. found that restrictive, like we were keeping them in a prison or something. Well, no. We're just maintaining our community. But I, I don't understand. I, I don't. <laughs> even now, it's just thinking about it, I don't understand. They just felt like it was restrictive and they didn't feel comfortable on Crossroads. And I'm like, was somebody mean to you? Did did you get reprimanded by no, no, a moderator had never contacted them whatsoever at all, ever. They just weren't comfortable with our level of moderation. And I don't think we're mo <laughs> we're we're not we're not running around jackbooted over here. We're <laughs> just we're <laughs> We don't have a single Texas Ranger moderating crossroads, I promise. I mean, I the, the funny thing is, I mean, I've seen I've seen behavior on some servers where people get really bent 
when there's not a moderator online, like constantly, like, you know, if the moderators can't reply instantly to deal with a problem, they get really upset. Um, but we expect people to, to be, you know, and sometimes the answer is, uh, we got to talk about it. We'll get back to you. So just hold off on whatever it is, whatever shenanigans or tomfoolery you were planning on getting up to, you just need to hold off, you know? And sometimes the answer is that it's not an appropriate topic for the, the, the server. Um, and we'll have a conversation through DM about something instead of, you know, in public. Um, Cause sometimes somebody just needs to talk about something and that's, that's the fine. But we expect people to be grown up enough to be able to handle wait an hour until we can. How know. did they know about the moderation being heavy on crosswords? I don't think that our moderation is heavy, but our moderators do do the job that they, that they volunteer. They got volunteered to do by Jilly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're all volunteers, I promise. Um, in that, if somebody's in the wrong room or the, or the wrong, the wrong area discussing something, they get moved to to an appropriate place. If we need a spoiler thread, one gets created. Um, if you know, it's just like they're 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 doing what moderators do, so they're overtly, obviously active on the server, and apparently that made him feel like he might be in prison or something. I don't know. I was briefly tempted to name the the server Alcatraz for like a whole week. I didn't do it, obviously, but I I thought about it because I was really stunned. I don't know how you get there, but um, some people, I guess, require a certain level of chaos. I don't know. Yeah, Crossroads is what happens when you have two people who have OCD meeting. <laughs> that's that's the level but- of organization that's happening. But even with our kind of OCD level, we still tried to keep some things from being too micromanaged because we didn't want to deal right, with the moderation. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it, it's a uh, you know, return on investment kind of thing. There comes a point at which the more you micromanage something, the more moderators you need to enforce the micromanagement. So it, it, you got to find the happy, the happy medium at which you can handle it with the level of moderators you've got with the size of the audience you have and blah, 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 blah. So it's, 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 it's a, our, but our moderators, but work, they work hard. I mean, it's not like it's, they pay attention and yeah. I mean, if somebody is, it's not like, but the thing is one of the things we don't want is people being like jumped on and go, you got to move, you got to move, you got to move. Um, but what but we, there are 1400 people on crossroads. So yeah. we can't afford to have a free for all. No, but what we do ask is that people um, start topical. You don't have to end topical, but you got to start topical. And if you stay, if you're off topic for too long, the moderators will ask you to move. So, for instance, we have like um, a channel that's about, let's say, about crafting. So let's say you start talking about crafting, but you wind up talking about it. It somehow meanders its way. You're talking about knitting, and then and then you wind up talking about that you're knitting witches hats and then Chris that winds sweater. Yeah. You, you knitted oh, Chris wait. Evans sweaters. Okay. <laughs> and then you wind up talking about the knives out movie and the knives out sequel. And then you start talking about all the movies that Daniel Craig has been in. And then the next thing you know, you're talking about, um, you know, double O Q. Okay. I get the progression. Okay. And the mods aren't going to stop that. Right. There's a natural progression there that happened as a conversation. And one of the things we've That's talked about... seven degrees in knitting right there. Right. But <laughs> we've talked about we don't want to discourage natural flow of conversation as long as you start on topic. But if it stays double OQ for a really long time, 
because what that does is it stifles the conversation of the people who actually want to talk about crafting in that channel. If it stays there, if it stays on that double OQ for a protracted period of time, a moderator is going to gently point out that we have another, we have fandom channels for that. There's an app for that, or in this case, a channel for that. Can you please move it on? So it's not but intended. What to I've just... noticed is that most of you do it on your own. Yeah, most You'll of you. You'll even say, like... hey, let's, let's move this to the fandom channel. Most you know, people so, self you know. self moderate, you know, and and they go oh and and that's exactly what we want is people who understand. But the, what the other thing the mods will kind of get on is people start off topic, and if you start off topic, well then you're breaking the channel rules because the goal is why would you go into a rule a room about art and start talking about um, specifically about art and start talking about I don't know some fandom drama has nothing to do with art. It's completely off topic, and somebody's going to ask you to move. But some people don't want to pay attention to what channel they're in. They just want to talk about anything, wherever. But if we allowed that with 1,400 people, just pick a channel and start talking about whatever you want to talk about, there would be no conversation because no one would be able to find anything. Right. It'd be it a hot be, mess. And who it wants be, that? It wouldn't you know, be entertaining. It would be 50 you know, no-topic channels, and you just go to one where you see. You, you'd be browsing channels to see who's having a conversation you're interested in. So we opted not to do that. So, I mean, we, I'm not saying we get it right all the time, but we try to strike a balance that is going to give people maximum opportunities to engage and participate in fandom and social stuff without unduly burdening the moderation team, micromanaging where people are sitting and talking. So, um, but, you know, it's always, it's like, I think it's a work in progress, but, but the point is, is to have good intentions and to be, um, to not be an asshole, which yeah. is our basic founding rule on Crossroads. Don't be an, be asshole. an asshole. It's not even difficult for most of you. I mean, we changed <laughs> up how we handle watch parties on the server. And I think that it's been a good direction for mm -hmm. us. Uh, people can, we have, can have multiple watch parties happening at this, even at the same time. There are ongoing watch parties. Um, we have an ongoing watch parties for science vids. It happens on Saturday mornings. Um, we watch science, technology, engineering, arts, and math videos. Um, so that's every Saturday morning we watch something, so that's ongoing. But it used to be that when there was a watch party, what would wind up happening as a, as a channel that wasn't necessarily for watch parties would wind up dominated by that. So when something starts to emerge as needing more space, as it were, or more attention, we make a change in how we do things. And if it doesn't work out, we make a different change. But yes, yeah, people get really butthurt about moderation on servers. Uh, there's too much for them and there's not enough. Or, you know, I've been waiting for, for an hour for a moderator to deal with this issue. And, you know, I, I just really think this is inexcusable that there's not a moderator to deal with it. It's like, how much are you paying me to be here? Uh, feel free Asking to find a friends. server where there's the moderator who's on call for you, you know. You'd be amazed, Phoenix, how often people assume they should get, like, VIP service for free shit. I mean, it's just like, I actually had this heifer, I mean, heifer, y'all, this heifer emailed me once, this was years ago, and demanded that I start sending her my fic as attachments so she could read it on her phone because she didn't have time to download it or save it to her phone from the website. 
And if I could do it in advance of being published, that would be better. I shit you not. I shit you not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, heifer's gonna heifer, right? I mean, I was just, I was, I was, I, I was pretty new to fandom, and I was like, "That's a whole lot of dope." I just deleted the email. I didn't even respond to it. I didn't even respond to it. But she isn't the only one who's asked me to email me to email them my work. Um. I actually had someone also email me once and tell me they didn't want to be on my newsletter, but they wanted to be notified when I had new work. So would I email them personally? And you're like, no. What's that? What's that term in hospital uh, in in hotels where you have a personal butler, like a concierge? I'm not a concierge. <laughs> At some high end hotels, you get your own personal butler. <laughs> not that either. <laughs> the fuck yeah she asked me to email her personally yeah my most recent entitled fan sent me an email demanding that i put all my work on ao3 immediately because she was tired of wasting her time on my site so i responded then you can stop reading my work and then you won't be wasting your time on my site i'd hate for you to be wasting your time that really hurts me doesn't it hurt you i feel bad yeah, I feel really bad. I don't feel bad that I put her on my block list on my band hammer so she can't read my side at all right now. And you're thinking to yourself, well, Kira, she could probably get a VPN. I have a plug-in that prevents people from using VPNs <laughs> on my site right now. If it hits a V... Because VPNs are actually... When you use a VPN, it's obvious in the in, in the coding. So there are plugins that you can put on your website that disallows VPNs. I'm going to leave it up for about a week because I'm an asshole. Then I'll take it down. But she's lucky I'm not as vengeful as I used to be because I did ban Germany for a whole year. <laughs> to get one guy. Yeah, that's a level of spite. I mean, I, I'm a lot petty, but that's a level of spite. I, I, I'm not, I don't have the energy to pursue. Um... <sighs> Sorry. He was I the original don't. Brad, y'all. He was the original Brad. I know, but the thing is, if you wind up, what if what if you try? What if you block Germany and you've got your plugin up about for VPNs? Nobody in Germany can get to you. Yeah, that was before VPNs were really popular too. So there was one lady in Germany who who emailed me and asked. She says, "I can't get to your site, and I don't know why, but people keep saying they read your stuff." And I was like, "Oh, I have your whole country banned because of Brad here." And I hand <laughs> I sent her my newest story so she could read it. <laughs> Just popped the copyright in there because she reached out and she asked really nicely. It wasn't her fault. Brad was Brad living in Germany. Brad was Brad, the original Brad. There was, um... I guess I could probably turn the VPN off. I just, it just, it, she just irritated the shit out of me. And just, you know, don't, don't ask me to police your behavior. I'm not your mama. To misquote J-Lo. I guess she didn't ask me to police her behavior. <laughs> well, she might have been. <laughs> Although sometimes, like when I'll post, and sometimes I do post in the middle of the night because I'm up in the middle of the night, y'all. I sleep during the day. That's what I do. I've been doing this for decades. Y'all know this, right? Then I'll get some butthole. 
Y'all know who you are. In my comment section, blaming me because they stayed up all night reading my stuff. <laughs> and went to work tired. Motherfucker, it is not my fault you went to work tired. It is yours. For some people, some people got that first thing in the morning. So, lucky them. And they got to read it on their way to work. Sitting on a train. <laughs> oh, Arlena, I see you. But I don't think you've actually blamed me for your impulse control problem. <laughs> but some of them do. <laughs> Just like it's my fault. They're exhausted at work the next day. Motherfucker, no, it's not my fault. Yes, I posted 100k at 2am. It wasn't 2am everywhere. <laughs> it was mid-afternoon in Australia. Right? Ish. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Uh, Are you checking? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure out what they... I'm checking the time difference between us and Australia, yes. <laughs> So they're six hours behind me tomorrow, so they would be eight hours behind you tomorrow. I don't know why that makes more sense to me than... So if it's 2 a.m. for me, it's 5... 5 okay, it's 2.54 a.m. for me, and apparently it's 5.53 p.m. in Australia. So yeah, well, if right I posted now, right, right now, right, right now it's six fifty-five in Australia p.m. Six fifty-five in Australia. Well, in Sydney, there's there's other time zones. It's okay. eight. So it's what eight, I'm saying, it's eight fifty-four in New Zealand. So it was a prime time to post for those people, right? They just got home and they eaten their dinner. Daylight savings is the worst. I hate it. We hates it. So I always have to, I for me, just in terms of like in my head, I always kind of go backwards and then add a day for Australia because they're on the other side of the date line. So I don't, but calculating the number of hours ahead for me is, you know, calculating, what is that, 18 hours ahead is a little bit more complicated for me than calculating six hours back. Don't judge me. That's the way it is. <laughs> so I calculate. That's just how your brain works. It's perfectly so I okay. I calculate six hours back and go forward a day. So, six hours ago tomorrow. Because if you hadn't been sitting over there, I would have asked my dot. But it, I, have, I don't want to say her. I don't want to say her name because she'll talk to me. Because you probably could just ask Siri what time it was in Australia. I could have, but that would have been then you all then everybody would have known instead of just inferring what I was doing. <laughs> I was googling. <laughs> but yeah um i am posting only time tomorrow probably honestly at midnight tonight so it'll be midnight on the 31st for me and it's currently 3 a.m for me so so what's that like 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 right when it becomes so, so a day from now yeah ish a little, little less than a day ish okay so gonna give y'all maximum reading time before um 122, 123K? I'd I, I have to open it to know for sure. Um, somewhere in that range. So I think that that's probably about 45K of new material that wasn't on Rough Trade-ish. Ish. Yeah, so I think the people, for the people who, for every person who is unhappy with the post when, when you post, there's somebody who's delighted with it. 
So, right. I know there are some people who like, and I understand the OCD and I, I, I nod, give a nod to it, but they always post at the same time every week. So their posting day is X day and they do it between this hour and this hour. And that's the only time they post. I appreciate your level of commitment. I just, <laughs> I could, I could easily get sucked into, cause I know the way my brain works. I could easily get sucked into forcing myself into patterns like that. But I just can't. I, I can't let myself do that because it becomes destructive to my productivity. I would not do it because it would create expectations. Well, there's that too. And I don't like to give people expectations. Or to encourage expectations. Because they're honestly kind of toxic. Or they turn toxic pretty quickly. I give you no permission to have any expectations of me. So there. <laughs> right? Keep your expectations to yourself. I decline to participate in your expectations. Expect the unexpected. No. In fact, Great Expectations was awful. Not as bad as The Tale of Two Cities or The Grapes of Wrath, but pretty close to awful. Pretty awful. <laughs> Worry about yourself. <laughs> That's one of my favorite little gifts things I've ever seen. That little girl in that car seat. Worry, worry about yourself. But you know she's repeating from an adult in her life who's practically probably says that every day. Right? It's like, okay. So if she's copying an attitude with the person who normally says it, they literally brought that shit on themselves. It is what it is. Um, I think I'm going to go. Have um, we exhausted the what else? the fuckery? I think so, for the moment. For the moment. And also... In exactly one minute, Scrooge's store in Disney Dreamlight Valley is going to reset. So I want to open up my game so I can buy my stuff. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I still have I still have game envy. <laughs> Sorry. It'll I'm be, just it'll, saying it'll hit Mac. It'll hit Mac eventually. Well, I'm playing it for free demo, so yeah, it's worth it. Well, not free. I I have the Xbox Game Pass, and it came it comes on the game it comes on the Game Pass. And I, I pay ten dollars a month for that. Um, but actually, currently I'm playing Guardians of the Galaxy, but I'm going to close that so I can open up Dreamlight Valley so I can visit Scrooge's store when it resets, right now, um, so that I can get new stuff. I'm especially looking for a Beauty and the Beast dress that I missed the first time it was in the, in the store because I didn't have the coins for it. It says Disney Dreamlight Valley. And yes, the yellow one, Arlena. I, I missed it. I didn't have any of the coins for it. I didn't realize it was going to reset on me or I'd have, or I'd have went on a, on a fishing brouhaha to, to get it so that I could have enough money to... But now I'm a pumpkin millionaire, so I don't worry about anything. And I'm going to go buy all the stuff in his store. <laughs> Priorities, man. Priorities. Priorities. All right. Well, go get, go get your... Go go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and Scrooge McDuck. Honestly, honestly, you guys, when you start playing Dreamlight Valley, know this. Get Remy first. His, you need the... You need the Get rid get of me first. And two, Scrooge McDuck is going to hose you every chance he gets. He's awful. Well, it's in the name. <laughs> what did you expect? And he, 
lives up to it. Sixteen thousand, yeah, exactly. Sixteen thousand dollars for a pair of shoes. Well, star coins. Still, that is fucking ridiculous. Well, it figures it's a pair of shoes. It wouldn't be for a dress. Well, there was one dress that was like thirty thousand. That kills me. I mean, but sometimes women go out, and the most expensive thing they got on is not their jewelry; it's their freaking shoes. And sometimes it's their underwear. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's their underwear. <laughs> All right, go shop. You guys have a great evening, and thank you for hanging out with us. I hope you have a great Sunday and a great week, and we shall catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Night, everyone.